And so it was interesting that the night that I asked the universe, like, hey, I want to go out and spread this message, this stuff I'm passionate about. The universe was like, all right, but you got to be able to provide the products and mm-hmm. the, re- the resources. And you got to be willing to show up. You want it? Okay, I'll give it to you. But you got to be wanting to show up. And all that time, instead of being like, all right, like I'm going to show up, you know, it was like four or five years. Like, um, instead of being, I'm going to show up every day and, and put in the effort that's being asked of me in exchange for what I've asked for. It was like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. It's so difficult. It was such a... And, and it, the moment I finally said, I'm just going to start showing up and take what's being asked of me. And this is what Ben, you know, again, the Lord speaking through Ben, when I asked him this question, I don't know if I'm on the right path. He said, you know, man, I think there's something really valuable to be said about taking what God puts on your plate every day and just doing the best that you possibly can with it. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul welcomes back the founder and CEO of Raw Optics, Matt Maruka. Matt founded Ra Optics at age 18 and over the past four years has built it into a multi-million dollar brand. Ra Optics teaches people about the important roles that light plays in health and develops the most advanced light therapy-based products for transforming health. Paul feels this is a really important episode for young people to listen to, especially if they feel like they have to do things that don't fulfill them and are just surviving rather than thriving. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. We hope you enjoy listening to Paul and Matt talking about business and freedom, the hero's journey. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Living 4D. You know who I am. I'm Paul Check, And with me today is a great friend of mine and what I call a young genius, Matt Maruka, founder of Raw Optics, maker of the glasses I'm wearing right now, if you're seeing this on video. And Matt's wearing them too. Welcome back to the rainbow, Matt. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you back. We had two podcasts, but we just found out we had a technical problem, and the second one never survived. So we were both perplexed at what happened, but we just better make this one really good, huh? Hallelujah. Yeah, baby. Well, it's been a while since you were on the podcast with me. What have you been up to, and what's new with Raw Optics? What's happening? So since two years ago, back in August, lots have gone on. Yeah, I bet. I have continued traveling all around the world. I have been tremendously blessed with beautiful relationships, with beautiful friendships, with great opportunities to grow as a person. And it's just been amazing. I've, I've been all around the globe and uh, since just last summer, since your birthday party, I was in Russia in September, Turkey, uh, Bosnia, Italy, Switzerland, uh, with my now girlfriend f- from Russia. So it's been very awesome. And with raw optics, it's been nothing but a constant learning process for me. So mm. lesson after lesson after lesson of many positives and ups and many things that I perceived in the time maybe as a challenge, which mm. have shown only to be amazing teachers and amazing opportunities for me. So I've been tremendously blessed. And as is related to the theme of the podcast today, I had some challenges with, uh, you know, my own experience as I built my business further and further, 
that forced me to really learn some very important lessons in my life about the difference between being in something in principle versus being involved in something in spirit. Yeah. Business will do that for you. That's been the biggest the biggest happenings over the last few years. It's what I call the labor of love, baby. It's been a labor of love. You know, if you didn't love what you were doing, those challenges would be a lot different, wouldn't they? Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, so it really um, it forced me at some of my most challenging times. See, because as I mentioned while we were chatting earlier, you can have a business, and I didn't even know this. I had to learn it from experience, mm-hmm. as you so often talk about that you could have a business, one could have a business that's really successful, right? And and are bringing in a lot of money, but that alone wouldn't bring happiness, right? I started yeah. my business thinking that if I got to a certain amount of monthly income, mm-hmm. so like Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week, which was an inspirational book for me in the beginning said, you know, he, ta- he writes about how you can set your target monthly income, for example, say, okay, I want to, you know, as a young guy, I'd say, wow, if I can make $10,000 a month and, and pocket money, you know, after, after my expenses and everything, that'd be pretty cool. That would allow me to pretty much live any life I could imagine, go wherever I want, you know, and not necessarily buying a multi-million dollar home, but as a 18 year old, when you start a business, that sounds like a pretty good deal. To it does. 10K yeah. A month. Right. And so at pretty quickly in the business's lifespan, I actually achieved that and yet for a couple of years, I was moving, 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 but it, it felt in many ways like I was sort of spinning my wheels, let's say. I wasn't really feeling happy. I wasn't really feeling fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So I thought that somehow doing something like starting a business would lead me to feeling fulfilled, and it it never really did. Now, I always would attribute that to something that I still hadn't done yet. Like I still hadn't done that thing or this thing or grown to this level. But at a certain point, and I'm very grateful that I gained this lesson at, you know, young age of 19, 20, 21 years old. At a certain point, I just realized not without tremendous struggles and suffering preceding it. uh, And also great teachers around like yourself and people like Dr. Joe Dispenza. But I realized, you know, if how my if how how I live if my day is my life you know each day I live that really is my life and and they say there's not really the future or the past it is just the present moment and my present moment is filled with constantly trying to be something that I'm not already or do something that I'm not already doing then that's my life and if I keep it up like this then as long as I keep it up like that that's going to be my life and I started to observe this phenomenon in my own experience that seemed awfully reminiscent of what I've heard many stories of older men, you know, in their 50s or 60s or so who reach that burnout or Mm -hmm. that midlife crisis who say, this can't be it. And Mm -hmm. I felt so fortunate that I don't know if I could say I even had a midlife crisis in my, you know, early 20s. You can, yeah. It's not unusual for people to have, you know, when people are pushed as children, for example, into elite athletics by their parents or to a focus music, being a pianist or a violinist or high academic standards. Um, There's many cases of people hitting a midlife crisis as early as 17. That was 
that would be the best way I could describe my own my own experience in this time. And so I had to really, you know, ask some difficult questions, even though, again, running a super, uh, I would say, successful business, especially for someone of my age, but yet, you know, piling up more debt and and spending more than I was making. And, you know, on the outside, everything can always look great, right? Mm-hmm. We spoke earlier about how on social media, there's a lot of, uh, we could call it surface level expression. Mm-hmm. And and so I maybe had some aspect of that. Everything looks great. Young guy traveling the world. But inside, I was feeling really like lacking, not really whole, right? And so I started diving deep down the rabbit hole. I remembered uh, I had studied some Ram Das earlier on and I had been intrigued by these spiritual concepts. It made sense that everything was always okay and that everything was good and there was nothing to worry about. And this appealed to me, but then I'd go into my daily life and it just didn't feel that it was like that at all. And so I went to, uh, as I mentioned, Dr. Joe Dispenza in particular and started studying from some of his work, which as I I would uh, interpret is largely based on really ancient wisdom, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we could maybe say many of us, uh, many people out there, even yourself teaching principles are taking something that maybe has been spoken about for thousands of years, but putting it in a way that's relevant in modern context that people can apply in the situations of today. And I, I started doing that and I started to see that I would have to change my experience of the day, of each day and every day I was living my life and each moment to be the person who I'd want to be as a totality of myself. And that only by doing that, which is really the hard work as I've come to understand, can I be the person I want to be and be living the life that I want to be living. So that's all a lot of really cool uh, ideas. But in practice, what it came to look like was looking at my business and all these projects, for example, and everyone has their thing, whatever it is, whether it's a business or a relationship or a college or a job or a, a boss or something that's that's their their excuse or their thing that they're using to not be the actor or the full participant in their life, as you said earlier today, and to just kind of be like a victim. Mm-hmm. And I started to look at all these things I had accumulated in my life and my business and, and so many projects and things I was doing from a victim energy, like I, I should do this or I should do that. And as I started to just do this this practice that Dispenza teaches and, and many others teach of just meditating, connecting to the present moment, feeling what I would want to feel like in the present moment, the person who I would want to be and how I would want to feel. And maybe in my mind, I wouldn't be able to experience that life until I was 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, sitting on hundreds or tens of millions of dollars or whatever. And just saying, well, wait, you know, all that money, it's not going to change my inner state. So I have to learn how to change my inner state and become that person who I want to be in each moment and radiate that energy. And then as soon as I did that, what was so interesting was that all of the things, as Dispenza was teaching me, all of the things that didn't match the frequency that I was training myself to resonate at this higher frequency, it felt natural to let them go. So like the things in my business that you know, weren't maybe even that important Yeah, that just didn't matter, but I was using them as excuses to not show up. Maybe projects that didn't matter or partnerships that weren't really aligned with the core value of the mission. And I was able to start saying no to things, you know, yeah. to say, you, sh- you got to learn to say no. And I was finally able for the first time, instead of constantly overwhelming myself, oh, I should do this, oh, I should do that. Mm. Saying, no, 
I have a mission. I'm here to do something much more important than just sit in the trivialities of a, of a day's work. And I owe it not just to myself, but to the world, to God, to show up and be the person who can overcome those challenges in my day. So much it, it came to the extent where I realized that in my day, the work that I do is more in my daily meditation and overcoming these limited beliefs and emotions. Because mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, the project that seemed really difficult that I maybe something I did want to do, but the things that seemed really hard to do or the things that I've been pushing off for months, all of a sudden I would just get right into them. And then all of a sudden this energy that was like trapped up all of a sudden is released. And I get this feeling like you've described many times, my soul was telling me you're on the right track. Yeah. But it was, it wasn't like, I, I, I didn't get there by just getting up and doing what was on my to-do list for the day. I had to fully level myself up to a whole new frequency of what would it feel like if I was the guy who I want to be, you know, let's say 20, I'm 22 years old now, so I'm 22 and I'm just crushing it. And whatever that means for me, it's different for everyone. And all of a sudden things started to align projects like developing really cool lighting technology, which we're working on that I had been saying, I'll do that one day. I pushed it off and pushed it off. And it's like four years passed by. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, okay. Light, light therapy, eyewear, raw optics glasses are changing lives. We get amazing reviews all the time. And there's something else that's really amazing that can complement that and have a bigger, even greater impact for people. But I was kind of pushing that off, even though I knew I wanted to do it. Just by raising up to a higher frequency and believing that I was the person who could do that and really connecting to that and letting go of all the, oh, you got to wait or you got to do all these things. Some of those things that I didn't, that weren't right for me, they just started falling away. And I started just putting energy into the right path. And all of a sudden I can look at my life and, and I go to sleep and say, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I'm really grateful for what's going on. And I didn't necessarily go out and grind harder, work 16 hour days, which is a constant, I think, a, a sort of idea or a meme that people are fed today that you have to work overly hard and somehow sacrifice. I believe working hard is great if mm-hmm. it's on purpose, right? Yeah. But some people, including myself, I, I believe take this idea that's perpetuated in the modern culture that you have to go out and work really hard and they take it to mean that they have to basically suffer constantly. And that's what I was doing. I was living in the belief that I was only that I was only worthy and that I could only be good. Maybe it came from my childhood. Maybe it came from relationship with my father or parents. It's also cultural. Cultural. And finally, I just had to start trying to let that one go. And it's, it's a daily work in progress to let that idea go that I have to do a certain amount of work to be worthy. You know, you see all these guys in tech world or here or there who, and, and I, I was doing this, like seek value and validation and it's considered like cool to be the guy who says oh i worked 16 hours today or 20 you know 20 hours today it's like to me that's cool if you're happy and loving what you're doing but to me what would be really cool would be if you could work you know five six seven whatever the number is eight ten hours a day but it's something you feel super fulfilled at and you go to sleep every night smiling not like oh i gotta get up and grind again tomorrow because as soon as you know they say grind don't stop it's like a cultural meme the grind doesn't stop it's like i don't I reject that idea. Mm-hmm. I reject that idea because then you stay in the grind and you're never out of it until you realize that you have to change your life and make your days what you want them to be. Yeah, I've addressed that in athletics, you know, the no pain, no gain, push till you drop. If you're not bleeding, you're not doing anything. So that's why I came up with the concept of train, don't drain. 
because people were overtraining themselves constantly and getting injuries. But, you know, I wrote a couple of notes while you were talking there. What you're describing that led you into this series of events that felt like a midlife crisis, I gave a name because I've seen it a thousand times and I've done it to myself. I call it the externalization of self. So if I said, Matt, what is your self? What would you describe that as? So I've had a really blessed opportunity to do a little bit of more than a little bit of inquiry into this subject more mm-hmm. recently. And it's largely been stimulated by uh, Michael Singer and his books, The Surrender Experiment and The Untethered Soul. Mm-hmm. I read The Surrender Experiment, which I recommend both books to everyone very, very highly. And it in the book, and it may be even a, to some people, it may seem like an extreme example. Have you read The Surrender Experiment? I've read the, um, the Untethered Soul. So The Surrender Experiment, he, wrote, he published and wrote after. And it, it describes his life's journey and story, including what led him to the untethered soul. And it was this idea that he decided one day after tremendous struggling that he would just surrender to what life had to offer him and not put his personal preferences in the way of what God or the universe was putting in front of him every day. So he would sort of bite his tongue when something came up that he didn't really want to do, and he would just surrender. Now, not to say everyone has to do this. But it was interesting. He did this for several years, and he everything he did, he would put his whole heart into. So even if it was something, some opportunity he didn't really, his ego didn't really want to do, he'd put his whole heart into it. And over the years, and it sounds miraculous, but he ended up, because he would put his heart into things that fascinated him, and people would ask him, hey, can you do this? And hey, can you do this? And all of a sudden, a business sprang out, a construction company. And then all of a sudden, years later, a software company sprang out. And he ended up becoming the founder and CEO of one of the the largest, uh, most successful software companies of the 90s and early 2000s that basically took the entire medical billing industry digital, called the medical manager. And he, he explains the whole story in tremendous detail. And it was just so beautiful to see that no matter what life put on his plate, and when he was writing The Untethered Soul, he was in the midst of some serious allegations against him that were phony allegations, but someone had claimed that he had basically... You know, people should read the book to get the whole story, but basically someone had, had uh, embezzled the business mm-hmm. and, and tried to pin it on him and upper management. Mm-hmm. And so he was facing, and it's a public company, so he's facing jail time and all sorts of really serious stuff, surrendering all the while, writing The Untethered Soul in the midst of some very, very, what would be for most people pretty scary circumstances, looking at maybe a life, rest of life in prison, for example. And, and to me, it was so beautiful that someone could just be so surrendered and not put their will or their ego over what is what is just happening because we ultimately don't have control of even really our our next breath. So to really that's surrender opinion, to that though. flow, well, um, and maybe that's incorrect. I would love your your take <laughs> on that. <laughs> well, people think that, but if that's true, there's no such thing as free will, and that makes you a robot, doesn't it? And that's why evil is so important. Not that I condone evil, but if you don't have evil, then the good means nothing. So those are just two examples of polarity. Consciousness can't function without polarity. 
people that are unconscious and acting out their programming, which is what you're describing, you're acting, you are describing the angst of identifying yourself in your work, which is what I call the externalization of the self. That's why I, I said to you, what is the self? I was waiting for you to get to and that. And I'll get there. Oh, I'll just go ahead and finish this. So, yeah. So, fast forward, and I appreciate your interjections. As I as I told you uh, yesterday via email, I really appreciate the podcast conversation format because I actually learn much more, and I think it's much more interesting for as a listener of podcasts myself. So, anyhow, um, in The Untethered Soul, there's this question that really comes up over and over and over again, which is like, who am I? Who am I? Who yeah. is the self? To answer the question, honestly, I don't fully know. However, as the way Michael Singer describes it, the self is, and I resonate with this very much, the one who's watching, right? So Matt Maruka, my name, my label, my body, I'm speaking, right? And and of course, some aspect of a higher consciousness is, is, is really directing and, and speaking through me. So if I really had to, you know, go to the the highest level that I understand it, it's it's what the ancient you know wisdom and scriptures have spoken about the self aided piece of a greater eternal consciousness of everything of God. Now, mm-hmm. not to claim that I am God or you know we are individually God, but certainly we must be a part of something greater. Well, you, there's nothing wrong with claiming that you're God because if God is God, there's nothing here but God, or you don't have God. That's one of the things that confuses the hell out of people. You see, one of the things that religions have done is they've externalized God as a sky deity. This is why people look up to talk to God. Religions externalized God. God's out there. You've got to go to the church to get to God. You can't have um, a first-person relationship with God or, or they'll burn you at the cross when someone says, I am God, but the reality of it is, this is the analogy I give my students. Let's just pretend God was cookie dough. Then wouldn't everything in the universe be some form of cookie dough? Yes. There's nothing here but God. That's that's what people don't get. That that's what true spiritual practices teach you. And that's you know, when you first have your own legitimate experience of God. There's two things that happen, and they happen usually simultaneously. You laugh your ass off and you cry your head off at the same time because you realize how sad it is that people keep looking for God. And you laugh your ass off when you realize how funny God is. You think, oh my God, this is the greatest trick in the universe because it is the universe. <laughs> right? So the, the point is, God means that for which there is no other. God is prime source. There is nothing behind God, or it's not God. So whatever is in existence is an expression of the divine. But the self is, there's many ways to look at the self, but the self really is the wholeness of an individual. So without a long comprehensive explanation, when I say, if someone says to me, Paul, what is yourself? I would say it's the wholeness of me. But then you'd have to say, well, what is, what is that? Well, it's the air that I'm breathing. It's the beat of my heart. It's the thoughts in my mind. It's my relationships. It's the food that I eat, the water that I drink. It's the environment that I'm in and that I create. It's my relationships and my friends and and, um, my kids. 
So the wholeness of the self is the realization that I can't be me without you being you, because if I was the only one on the world in the world, I wouldn't know who I was. Who would tell me what my name is? Or how would I know if I was a male or a female? Even if I was a male, I would never have seen a vagina, so I would think that this is just a thing. I wouldn't even know what it was. I would wonder why it gets excited and erect and think, well, what are you supposed to do with this thing? So, because our perception is an internal process, really consciousness is an imaginal process. God's not thinking everything into existence because mind requires a duality. God is behind the duality. That's the witness that you were talking about that's looking through your eyes and the paradox of it that makes us so fun and funny is what's looking through your eyes at me is what's looking through my eyes at you. But the self gives you the sense of being Matt and myself gives me a sense of being Paul. And without that, love cannot exist. How could I love you if I was under the false impression that you were me or there was nobody here to love? So the illusion of the self is necessary for acts of love. Most interesting. But the point I'm driving at, though, when we externalize ourself, we identify ourselves with what we're doing, with how much money we're making, with the clothes we wear, with how many people like our posts on Facebook or respond to this video or the where we live, what status symbols we have. Think of all the things that people do to create a sense of identity for themselves and how much of that identity is outside of themselves. So what happens is the person that's inside, that's really them, that's looking out, is being pushed out. So they say, oh, this is who I am. I'm not making enough money, damn it. Or I got, I got too many bills. You know, there's a whole list of things. And so what happens is we have to keep pushing our energy outside of ourselves. which in my model, you know, the four doctor model, doctor happiness is the air element, which is mind. Doctor movement is the, is the doctor of action. Doctor diet represents embodiment because it's the earth element. And doctor quiet represents the inner self, the soul self-reflection and introspection. So if a person keeps pushing themselves out and identifying with their ideas and what they're doing, but they don't celebrate the fact that their temple is their place of existence where God worships with them, in them, as them, and in their relationships, and they don't have time for introspection, for looking in and having a relationship with the consciousness inside of themselves called a soul, do you see that when you identify yourself through mind and doing, to the degree that you lose touch with the beauty, the harmony, and the brilliance, and the majesty, and the mystery of your body. I mean, it takes quite a lot of magic to keep 50 to 100 trillion cells singing in harmony, doesn't it? Yeah. There's 30 billion, billion biochemical reactions a second in the human body. That's a hell of an orchestra, and your conscious mind doesn't have a clue what to do with it. 
So when we spend time with our body, enjoying our body, loving our body, engaging food, sex, water, all these things, but paying attention to how our body's responding. Like, for example, you ever had the experience of going into a cold plunge or a cold shower and your mind says, oh, I don't want to do that. It's going to be cold. Then your body goes, oh my God, this is so good. Yeah. And you're like, oh, see, my mind was tricking me, but my body is saying this is really good. But you don't get that relationship until you listen to your body. How many people eat food that makes them feel like shit, maybe feels good for five or 10 minutes, but then they feel like crap and then just keep doing it because they're not listening to their body. Why? They're listening to their head and they're paying attention to the chocolate bar outside of them, but they don't have a relationship within the temple of self. So there you see the body and the inner self, the soul self, are the internal parts of the equation and the mind projecting itself outward and its activities and its doings are the external part of the equation. So part of the disease in the Western culture, which we've infected the whole world with, is identifying yourself by what's being created outside of you or what's being done to you. Like um, I'm, my business would be much better if, if people would just not do this or would buy more of this or whatever. So that's all externalization. The other thing is, you know, as you've heard me say before, your yes has no value until you learn to say no. Because until you learn to say no, you don't have any values. When you say, I'm only going to work seven hours today, and there's 14 hours worth of work to do, but when the seventh hour completes itself, you look out at the surf and say, it's time to go surfing. That work will be here tomorrow. Now you're worshiping your inner self. Now you're having a relationship with your body and with the ocean and the rest of yourself. Hi, everybody. I suspect you know that personal trainers and strength coaches are often underappreciated, particularly by the medical community at large. And yet they are probably the most important group of allied healthcare professionals because they're engaged in their clients' lives far more deeply than most any other healthcare professional. Current statistics show that the average medical doctor only spends six minutes with each patient. Most physical therapists, chiropractors, and osteopaths have adopted the medical model, running what I call revolving door clinics. They often use hot and cold packs, ultrasound, and other palliative care procedures implemented by assistants so that the therapist or doctor can devote less time to each patient being able to bill insurance companies for an hour of treatment time, but that approach seldom addresses the root cause, thus the revolving door model. Personal trainers work with their clients often on a weekly basis, sometimes as much as three times a week, and they often work with them on diet, stress management, stretching, exercise, and listen to their clients' personal problems. So, they really get to know their clients, and there's a real therapeutic value in that. That means trainers have a huge potential to impact the health and well-being, not only of their clients, but the whole world. But there is one very important thing. The fitness industry has not helped personal trainers optimize their potential to develop their skills to truly master what they do. While personal trainers are now the goaltenders, being some of the only allied healthcare professionals that give their clients attention, they suffer from many challenges, such as a poor understanding of functional anatomy, a serious lack of assessment skills. Remember, if you're not assessing, you are guessing. A tendency to use trendy diets or assume that their diet is the right diet for their clients as opposed to understanding and teaching individualized eating. 
They are also heavily trapped in the idea that supplements will address symptoms or prevent health challenges while not resorting to sound, organic, and biodynamically farmed foods to meet fundamental nutritional needs for the long run. Additionally, most of the supplements personal trainers use and sell are notoriously poor quality. There is a lack of training in behavioral modification, a poor understanding of how to use corrective exercise, skilled movement assessments, and effectively select exercises. Most personal trainers have poor program design skills, regardless of who they are training or what age category they are in, or even what sport their clients participate in. Almost all their programs look the same, just like their own. Most personal trainers and strength coaches have a dangerous tendency to use functional exercises that are far too advanced for their clients, but may be trendy, which sadly results in a lot of unnecessary injury. Personal trainers should be taught to thoroughly assess their clients, to design holistic programs that account for their clients' specific needs, goals, and abilities. They should also inspire their clients to continue even when the world is in chaos. That's intelligent training, which empowers each and every client to achieve their health goals. If you're a personal trainer or a strength coach, or you want to be a personal trainer, I've created the online training program to help you maximize your potential and impact on the world. It's called Integrated Movement Science Level 1 Online. This course will teach you many things, including the essential four doctor principles I've developed. You'll learn how to see through the eyes of Dr. Happiness, Dr. Diet, Dr. Movement, and Dr. Quiet for a truly holistic program design approach. You'll learn how the gut and brain interact with each other, how to perform comprehensive flexibility tests, core function tests, and know what joint mobilization stretches and exercise will balance each client's body scientifically, how to assess posture, joint stability, and how to isolate dysfunctional muscles and then integrate them into functional movements, how to assess movement, select exercises, and design exercise programs scientifically, how to progress client programs safely and effectively for optimal short and long-term results, and much more. And now you can do this training from anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connection. If you really want to tap into your full potential as a personal trainer, strength coach, and build a rewarding career doing it, this is the course for you. If you are a massage therapist, acupuncturist, physical therapist, or doctor, Integrated Movement Science 1 Online will expand your assessment skills and exercise prescription abilities, helping your patients regain real health, freedom, and fitness for the long run. Go to the check shop. That's the C-H-E-K shop dot com forward slash I-M-S-1 online and get started now. The check shop dot com forward slash I-M-S-1 online and get started now. I think you'll be amazed at how much more you will understand and how much more abilities and skills you will have to offer all your clients. My last tip for you is I did a great podcast with a lady named Eileen Troberman, who's a master Alexander practitioner. and She teaches a cool little thing, which has helped me a lot, which is why I want to share it with you because you're young and you're still growing through all these challenges in business. You know, the bigger it gets, the more children you have, <laughs> the more responsibility you have. And it's easy to get caught in this externalization and the more tired you get, the more you lose your response ability, right? So as the business grows, it requires more and more responsibility, which requires response ability. So Eileen Troberman says, 
ask yourself, where do I feel a little ease right now? And just keep asking that till you find it, right? So you're in the middle of a long day and you're feeling tired, but you keep telling yourself this, that, or I'm not making enough money or whatever, and you just stop, breathe through your belly a few times and go, oh, where do I feel a little ease right now? Well, I feel ease looking out the window at the mountain. Isn't that beautiful out there? Look at the it is beautiful very beautiful. Sunlight. I can see Kirsty sitting over there. I'm looking at a ninja warrior, beautiful being. I'm looking at you. You're a beautiful young man. And so I can say, oh, I see ease in the view. I see ease in the people around me. My table is doing nothing but doing everything. Look at that. That's such a masterful table. It's absolutely it, not it doing phenomenal. a damn thing, but it's holding up everything. I feel ease in just looking at the beauty of my table. And so when we consciously practice looking for where we do have ease and we connect to the ease, that helps us retrain ourselves to begin to identify ourselves not as the stress and the activity, but as the ease of being instead of doing. And that's a hard lesson to learn. That's one of the greatest gifts I learned from Master Fong Ha was when my Tai Chi master, my first gong was 100 hours of standing like a tree. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Just, you know, you have different hand positions, but I had to stand an hour a day for 100 days in a row. And if I missed a day, I had to start over. And so... Initially, you know, of course, your mind is going, God damn it, I got a lot of stuff to do, and here I am standing here doing nothing. But you get to the point where you feel so good, and you realize that your mind is calming, and you can hear your heart beating in you, and you can feel the air moving through your blood vessels and your body, and even right up to your hair follicles as you get more and more relaxed, just like you can feel the light show inside your body. And so, you know, that's one of the magic things that happens when you have a real master is they teach you and paradoxically nothing they give you is very complicated. <laughs> Not like when you go to school and they try to fill your head with a pile of stuff that's like brain racking. My first assignment is stand like a tree for 100 hours and come back and see me. And that was it. <laughs> I flew up to San Francisco, walked into his backyard. He put me in the right posture and he said, see how you do. I'll be back. Then he walked away, and I thought, okay, well, this is cool. Maybe this is some kind of a test. So I'm standing there and standing there, and I'm watching the sun move across the sky. And finally, after probably over an hour, he comes back. He's a little giggle, looks at me, goes, oh, you did very good, very good. You've been over an hour. Most people only last about two minutes. He said, you did very good. I said, well, you're the master and I'm the student. So if you want me to stand here like a tree till next winter, I'll give it a go. <laughs> but anyhow, sorry for the long interjection. But I love it. I think it's important though, because a lot of people have a confused sense of themselves. They have a confused sense of free will. You're not, you have no free will as long as you're acting out parental, societal, religious, or cultural programming. Because that's an automated process. Yeah. I, from a, a point you made earlier about that we cannot love one another if there's not 
that distinction mm-hmm. between us. It makes me think about what some call creation, what others call the Big Bang Theory, and mm-hmm. how I always thought that there was uh, that light was sort of the first thing that was always there, but it seems to be the case both in in Genesis, in the Bible, and in uh, the Hindu scriptures, and even in the Big Bang. Actually, there's a bit of similarity that it wasn't light that was there first. You know, sound. Because I like light. Yeah, exactly. Sound. They say sound, but as I understood, it's it's more like vibration because mm-hmm. there was no matter or air to actually be sound. So it's it's sort of let's say, personified or made more relatable in the form of sound. But yeah, there's a distinction that has to be made. Metaphysically speaking, and if you study Sufism, you'll find this as a great book in my library, which is fantastic. I think you'd absolutely love it, called Universal Sufism. I think the author is Whitman, if I remember right. Um, but sound in metaphysics is a word that means all vibration. Om, A-U-M underscore, is a term and the symbol om means the totality of vibration. So when the Sufis or mystics use the word sound, they're not talking about audible sound, and that's only a part, a tiny fraction of it. But the term sound metaphysically means anything that's vibrating, which is everything in the universe. Yeah, and and so with this with this uh, foundation, thank you for clarifying it. It's the the next step of the Big Bang and also these creation uh, stories, then there was light. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the God said, so that's the speech, the speech, the sound, the vibration, mm-hmm. and let there be light, and then there was light. Mm-hmm. And same in, similar in Hindu scriptures and similar in the Big Bang theory, the light emerged after, and this is the key, the polarity of um, negative and positive appeared in that negative and positive polarity allowed for the existence of electromagnetic radiation light mm-hmm. which ultimately leads to the formation as well these same negative and positive polarities lead to the existence of matter all that's to say going you know through a analogy of the origins of the universe that one time i was i was uh, i was in norway and i met a really great qigong master so someone who also very similarly recommended to me just stand. That was it, actually. It was his only advice. He, he said, uh, and now, now I wasn't taking it as advice like to a student, so I didn't really follow through with it fully, but I have practiced it here and there throughout the last few years, and especially when I first learned it, and it was very useful. As should I do, you know, what kind of training do you recommend, blah, 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 all these different things. He said, no, no, just stand. Just start there. Your body, your bones will become stronger under the pull of gravity. Everything will strengthen itself from standing, including your spirit, you'll feel that energy flow. And this, the same uh, master one time I asked, he actually said, so he said, what, do you know what the force is that holds together all of the atoms and the molecules in the universe? And I was just thinking to myself, I thought about this for a while. There's, there must be, this is such a powerful force that, you know, scientists and physicists measure it at a, at a foundational level, Mm -hmm. but how could that very force that holds together all of let's say creation or the universe, not be something we feel on a daily basis. It we must do. be, we do. And he said, yeah, it's love. That's right. And I just thought that is so cool. So like the energy, so he, and, and to, to the, let's say to the profane, to those who have 
who aren't faithful or who don't believe in these types of things, they would say, no, that's just woo-woo. But I can say, so I spent years leading into the creation of, of Raw Optics, my business. And for those who haven't heard the first podcast, I strongly recommend checking it out. And that'll give some more background about myself. That was episode 99. I believe the title was The Light in Your Life, What oh, You good, Need yeah. to Know. I'm glad you remember. <laughs> yeah, I just because I've, I've seen it a couple of times around the interwebs. And so, but basically, I, uh, to kind of give a brief recap of my story, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and a uh, very blessed kid in many ways, wealthy uh, area I grew up, family was fairly well-to-do, parents were divorced, which definitely was a karmic string that was passed on to me that is my my job to unwind in this lifetime, or at least it, it is something that I am tasked with facing the, the results of that. Mm-hmm. And and it's been nothing short of the great the greatest teacher, really. Um, but anyway, I, I came to searching for all these things, externalization of self. I was searching for, you know, what, for a while I was just a teenager having fun, right? But then at a certain point, as I went into high school, maybe what we would call the beginning of the hero's journey as the title today, um, business and freedom, the hero's journey, I started to feel that something really wasn't right. I didn't Mm -hmm. know what it was. Mm -hmm. So I was looking what's not right. And I pinned it on my own health. I started getting acne breakouts and I started Google searching and came across the paleo diet. And I learned about this idea of epigenetics within paleo. And and that to me was a huge light bulb Mm -hmm. moment. Like the idea that all the gut issues, allergies, headaches, things that I had struggled with for years and thought were things I couldn't affect. All of a sudden I see potential. A great friend of mine, this yogi friend I mentioned to you from Russia, he, he said to me, you know, when you read something that's true, you know why it feels so good? He says, because your soul already knows everything. And it's just a reminder of something that's true. It's resonating with something you already knew to be true. And so when I read about epigenetics, I take it to, to mean that I, my, my soul was calling me to epigenetics. It's like, this is the keys to all of my greatest dreams, not just to being healthy and not having these ailments, ailments but to f- to potentially being unlimited because every you know kid's dream is that we can be like or at least for me like you can be like Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter and have these supernatural abilities right but we're taught that that's just fiction and mm-hmm. fantasy right they call the movies fantasy and yet it's not I came to learn much later but all that's to say I, I was externalizing so I externalized first with diet okay well the paleo bloggers I'm reading say that 80% of health is diet so I got to go all in on diet. And I went stricter and stricter and stricter. And in the beginning, I got a great boost from the food and the healthier eating, of course. But after a while, I went so strict and uh, I was just straining myself so much and pushing myself so much. I wasn't taking care of that inner self. I ended up almost with an eating disorder at like 14, trying to over diet to heal myself. And I thought if I just do this autoimmune paleo diet a little stricter and a few more weeks, all of a sudden heal. And I was affecting my mind in such a way that I only became sicker and sicker and sicker. Mm -hmm. I I then went to to light. So I came across some really interesting research and bloggers talking about light and energy. And I read these amazing books like the Body Electric by Robert O. Becker, which mm-hmm. beyond a shadow of a doubt describes how the body is electromagnetic and light-based in its origin. And so I went through all of these things, uh, you know, just externalization of self. I was externalizing that I 
should do this diet and I'll be healthier. I should do this light protocol, like a light diet, as I call it now, but focused on outer light, external light, like blue light, blocking harmful light, LEDs, getting more sun. This was the origins of the light diet. I started the business, Raw Optics, to protect from this outer light and years, years in, still was struggling. And when I finally came to doing this meditation through, uh, again, shout out and thanks to Dr. Joe Dispenza in particular as, as sort of my avenue. Now, many avenues, many people follow different paths, but I was doing these meditations. And at one, at one point, I, I remember just feeling so much wholeness and love like he would speak about because he is, does these amazing in-person retreats and events where, you know, you get the teachings and you go and you actually apply them with the application. You do long meditations, walking meditations, standing meditations, sitting meditations, the whole thing. And I just felt so much love and wholeness at one point. And I just felt like, gosh, like this is it. Like this is all I ever was looking for. I was not looking for the diet or the thing or this. I just wanted to feel this wholeness. And this was the best part. It was like he was teaching everyone and and, and still is like, this is, it's, it's within you. It's all around you. And mm-hmm. all you have to do is disinvest your energy and attention from the known world and the things you think are yourself. So the, the externalization of self to who you really are. And if you truly can do that and sort of go through the eye of the needle, so to speak, and let go of all of that attachment, you can really become one. And I felt that wholeness. And I just thought, wow, like this is all I ever wanted. And, and so why not focus on realizing and connecting with this more realizing that even if i was a you know like many monks like basically beggars on the streets because they are so tapped in to that energy and for example in india they don't even need like them being a beggar on the street isn't like a a condition or some like negative state they're stoked they're Mm. super stoked and Mm -hmm. people feel so much love they give to them because it's like oh my gosh they're like basically like little babies like if you saw a baby on the street the first thing you'd want to do is pour love into it because it's so open to receiving love and it's just like a natural flow of energy you'd want to help the baby i mean that's probably the most fundamental human instincts but i think these monks operate the same way and they've so it seems open themselves to that flow of love so one of the things that came to my mind in this journey was like we're and we're not um it's not like we have to necessarily go anywhere right to find god it's Someone said to me, if if all of the energy of God was within you, all the protoplasms of your cells would explode in an instant of all the energy of God in the universe. Now, this is maybe an exaggeration, but... No, the, it isn't. The, so, yeah, okay. Chris. Richard Feynman calculated that there's enough energy in one cubic centimeter of empty space to instantly boil all the oceans on I this love, planet. I love that you say that. So that's something I share with people sometimes as actually that exact... That exact point, I've, I didn't realize it came from Richard Feynman, mm-hmm. but to say that this energy, it's so powerful and it is so all around us and it's so readily accessible and the price to obtain it is to just let go of all of the things that we think we are in order to receive what we actually are. And so for me, that became my my new journey. And, you know, could I say, okay, maybe as a kid, my parents getting divorced, you know, if, if I, if I wanted to go down what the, the stories, which isn't really the best use of energy, but, um, I, I might say, well, and I am actually, I would say a pretty strong opponent, at least in my own self of divorce, because I see that for a young child, especially, okay, maybe if someone doesn't have a kid, it's different, but a child develops, especially as you would know, with the masculine and the feminine energy, and that's the masculine love and the feminine love, which builds that person a coherent energy system. And so if you're raised mostly by a mother, for example, like I was, 
I was raised and I had naturally much more feminine energy system. And when it came time to be a man to run a business and this Ayurvedic doctor friend of mine, I told you about, he would do the pulse test. And in the beginning, a few years ago, he said, well, you have a really, you know, strong imbalance. You have much more feminine energy. You have to work on your masculine energy through daily discipline, through training, through your discipline with your nutrition, your mental discipline, your work, all these types of things. I didn't fully listen to him at first because he was, you know, fully vegan as, as, deep Ayurveda is. And so I was like, no, this is crazy. But uh, years later, I started to really heed his advice much more. And I couldn't help but think, gosh, like divorce for, for a growing child, it's like you deprive the child of the the equal balance of yeah. positive of the positive and the negative, the masculine and the feminine energy to develop. And that that was something that was now in this lifetime of mine an opportunity, but I don't take it like many people would use, could use it as a victimization circumstance to keep themselves there. For me, it became the opportunity to overcome that, that challenge and to heal myself and, and to overcome that. And then thereby being a teacher. So there's this amazing anecdote I was told recently about a story with, uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi. So someone, apparently he would see patients, uh, as sort of a, psychotherapist and some woman came to him and this is my paraphrasing of the story but a woman came to him and said please help my daughter help my it was help my son in this case the son and the son had a serious issue like diabetes or something but he couldn't the story i heard is the is the rotten tooth not this one so this the the child had some serious issues with sugar and and serious diabetes and so the, the child would um we just couldn't, you know, control their sugar intake and was having serious issues. And, and Gandhi said, okay, come back. Okay. Come weeks. back and come back in a week is what I heard. Okay. So clearly there's different versions. There. I heard it from the monks at SRF. Okay. So we'll take this version. But so th- my version here is, is come back in a week and please bring your son. I'd like to speak with him. So the woman comes back and brings her son and Gandhi speaks with him and she's tried everything. And Gandhi speaks with him just for a few moments. And all of a sudden he's, he's cured of this ailment forever. And so then the question becomes, well, what did Gandhi do? How, what did he say to the boy? And it wasn't actually what he said. It was that he, in this case, he took it upon himself to fast entirely from sugar for a whole week and thereby overcoming that, that, uh, challenge within himself, within his own field, such that when he would speak to the boy, his words would really carry that power. And so now this goes for many cases. There's many people I would, we could call like charlatans Mm -hmm. today who speak a lot of things, but don't necessarily practice, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) you know, and, and my, my goal would not, you know, my goal, one of my, I guess, aspirations is to not be like that, but to truly live in. And I've come to understand in my own life, even though it is really difficult, Mm -hmm. it is maybe the hero's journey Mm -hmm. to overcome something where there isn't a clear path for me to, 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 to do that work and, and overcome that pain and those attachments to sort of die to the world, to be reborn is my purpose. And, and everyone, you know, we all think, or not all, but many, many, people, I'll speak to, for myself, I was led to believe that I came to believe rather than blame anyone else that I could help the world by going out and doing all this stuff, externalization of self and, and being the teacher and helping people. I want to help people and help people. And not that that's not an admirable aspiration. I'd say it is to go out and help people, but I was doing it more from a place of, of not wholeness in my, I wasn't feeling whole myself. And it was interesting for me to finally consider if I could 
fully and completely heal myself and know how to do it and know so deeply in my being and not with just diets and light and all these things which are important and play a role and they brought me they stepped me my consciousness up let's say to be able to look deeper but to to do it you know spiritually without externalizing and to heal these inner battles and and you know overcome these inner challenges that then I might be able to be a true force for good that my words may actually be able to have some real impact on people even if I don't speak that just the the presence and this is what it's fascinating for me to observe in great masters you know they've done so much of the overcoming work themselves that they're mm-hmm. so healed and just being in their presence is healing so that's to say that it wasn't about diet for me it wasn't even about light light just opened my mind and my consciousness that there's more it was about realizing that there is this infinite energy all around us. And again, some will call it woo-woo, but if you study Robert O. Becker and other great energy researchers, I'm sure you have hundreds of books on these shelves or dozens at least of these energy researchers. Hundreds. <laughs> hundreds, certainly. So the, if, if, if you understand this, it's it's clear that there is a, even a West, for those who need the language of science, there is a Western scientific foundation for the existence of an energy field. In fact, our body is just like a condensation of energy that we see as matter, but really the field, because all matter is just effectively energy anyway. It's 99% open, empty space anyway. It's just negative and positive charge. Mm-hmm. And so there's an energy field. And this is what Becker writes about. Like, how did the salamanders know how to, like, how did their limbs regenerate? Entire limbs, these salamanders mm-hmm. would regenerate. And he found it's an electrical current, it's electricity. And how would they go exactly where they need to go? For me, this is the most amazing question. You know, standard bio- biochemistry and biology, for those still stuck in that paradigm, how does the brain cell? All human cells have the same set of chromosomes, right? All human cells have the same 23 chromosomes. So how do the cells in the eye know know how to become the eye and the retina? How do the cells in the cornea, how do the eyes or the cells in the brain and the nervous system in the kidney, the liver, the genitals, how do they know what to become and how do they know where to position themselves as well? It's a really big gaping hole that traditional biology biochemistry has zero answers for and i remember because i asked my i asked my biology teacher in freshman on biology he said quote they just do i asked how do the electrons know to flow along the mitochondrial chain and that's an even simpler thing it's the pull of oxygen the electronic uh mm-hmm. the, the, the electronegative pull of oxygen is pulling the electrons now you, you could always ask like Feynman would you know, okay, well then what's making the electrons pull? Well, it's the electromagnetic force. How do you explain that to someone? It's just a force of nature. It's the same force that repels my hand so that I can't put my hand through this table right now. Would you you like me to tell you what creates that electromagnetic? I would love you to tell me that. That would be most amazing. I'll just just maybe wrap up this thought, which is that to to realize these things from the perspective of Becker, it, it is as a matter of fact that we are... A field. So we are an energy field, and that is what directed the salamander's limbs to be able to regenerate all the way. That's what happens when we get a wound, although we can't regenerate. Well, I shouldn't say can't. Haven't. There are not many documented cases of humans regenerating entire limbs. It's not super common, but we are an energy field. And so to truly change ourselves, this is where I love Dr. Dispenza's work because he's just teaching people, you can just go straight into that field, make the changes. Now, it's not easy, but you can do it. It's and not you can hard. Be healed. You just have to understand it.
Hi, everyone. Please raise your hand if you enjoy having dried out, aged looking skin, wrinkled skin, acne, skin blemishes that make you look unhealthy, or skin that itches from lack of supportive nutrients. No hands? Just what I expected. You know, even though I'm a 60 year old man, I still want healthy skin because looking good helps me feel good too. Our skin is a living barrier that protects us from the sun, the elements, and a myriad of invasive organisms that try to enter us through our skin. Anyone that understands skin knows that good complexion begins on the inside, and that's exactly why Organifi created Organifi Glow, so you and your family can be healthy, stay young, and feel and look great from the inside out. My family and I love Organifi Glow, and so does our skin. This refreshing blend of organic nutrients not only tastes great, it supports your body's innate collagen production and promotes brighter, radiant skin. Boost your hydration and nourish your skin with 13 clinically studied superfoods. And unlike most companies that claim to be organic, Organifi does use certified organic nutrients and has been the only company that could show me their certifications upon request. Organifi Glow supports and promotes collagen synthesis so you regenerate beautiful skin naturally, supports and promotes hydration, nourishes your skin from the inside out by optimizing skin hydration. Organifi Glow includes Tremella Mushroom, which provides five times the moisture of hyaluronic acid, which is commonly used in skin products to increase moisture. Organifi Glow offers a delicious raspberry lemonade taste, but unlike most plant-based products, is certified to be free of glyphosate, which is extremely important today. It also includes plant-based collagen from bamboo, which is a very rare ingredient because most collagen is animal-based. Not only that, Organifi Glow includes bioavailable vitamin C from Ace of Rolla Cherry with all its natural cofactors that support absorption and supports your immune system at the same time. Additionally, it's important to remember that your skin is often a reflection of your gut health. The collagen and prebiotic fiber in Organifi Glow has been shown to improve gut health by repairing the gut lining and feeding healthy bacteria in our microbiome, so not just your skin, but your whole body gets nourished. To get your Organifi Glow and love your skin, go to Organifi.com forward slash check 20. And I'll even make it better. All Living 4D listeners get 20% off when they use the promo code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. So your promo code is CHECK20, all in caps. Enjoy Organifi Glow. We love it. I love it. And I know you will too. There's a great book, if you haven't read it, that I think will blow your mind. It's called Blueprint for Immortality by Harold Saxon Burr. Blueprint for Immortality. Yeah. I I won't go into a long explanation of what's in the book. It'll be a great surprise for you, though. Um, But there's something before I explain what I wrote on the paper for you there. There's something quite interesting that most people in the Western world don't know. Do you know who it was that first figured out how the cells know what to become and how to divide and how eyeballs get created from the same cells that make teeth and bones and hair and everything else? I don't know. Tibetan monks, 900 years ago, had a practice of dissecting bodies when they died to try to learn what made the body work. And these monks would often spend years meditating in caves, and they were 
reached the point where they were fully clairvoyant. And they saw that when the sperm met the egg in the process of gestation, that the entire energy field of the fetus was fully formed almost instantly. And that all the meridians were there and all the acupuncture points, the whole system, and they could see the layers of the energy field and they began mapping out what we now know of as the acupuncture meridian system. But they figured this out 900 years ago, sitting in caves, dissecting bodies and looking at each other and then using their clairvoyant vision to see what happened when a sperm met the egg. Wow. And they would see that the entire energy field, the whole fetus was already in the womb. And as the cells divided, they followed the electrical lines of force, which carried the key information that told the cells what to become. So when a salamander loses a limb, the energy field is there and it's in this human beings as well. How do we know that for sure? What is phantom limb pain? Yes, exactly. When a person loses an arm or a leg, they often still feel the leg is there or the arm is there in pain because they're actually feeling their astral field, the lower mental, the higher mental. The etheric field is close to the body. So once you lose the physical part of the body, you lose the etheric field, which is the interface between the higher mental, lower mental. Well, the causal is the highest field. That's the source of the soul, causal. Higher mental, lower mental, astral, etheric. So the etheric field is made of the biochemical interactions of all the cells of the body. So if you think of how an antenna works, if you have an, a, an antenna, it attracts a signal. But if you have an electromagnetic frequency, for example, have you ever noticed if you exercise on a Swiss ball and then get up, it'll try to follow you? I haven't actually. Well... I haven't been working out on Swiss balls enough, actually. So. Most people that have spent time, you ever notice that, Kirsty? Well, pay attention. When you lay on a Swiss ball and do like a supine lateral ball roll or anything, if you're standing within a few inches of the ball, it'll roll right to you and stick to you. And people always ask me, why does the ball follow me around everywhere? Because you've generated static electricity, and the ball has static electricity, so it's an electromagnetic field, so it acts like a little doggy that follows you around because it's attracted to your field. So the point I'm making is when your cells are producing electromagnetic current from the chemical interactions in the cell, it creates a standing wave. The frequency is there every time you're breathing, you're living, right? As long as you're alive, all those cells are producing electromagnetic energy. They're vibrating, which to me as a clairvoyant, I can look at you through my third eye and I see what looks like a field of buzzing lights. So if I look clairvoyantly into my body the cells don't look like physical things they look like balls of light like like a vortex spinning okay that activity of the cells that electromagnetic activity is what the higher mind the lower mind and the astral field integrate with in a step down process so the closer you get to the soul the closer you get to infinity once you move down, so you could you could look at it vibrationally, you could see you've got ether, then you've got plasma, then you've got fire, then you've got air, then you've got water, then you've got earth. So your body, what is your body made of? Earth, water, fire, and air. But beyond that, you have plasma. What do you call the liquid in your blood? Plasma. 
What does it do? It carries a charge. So your heart's beating and sending an electromagnetic charge through your whole body, which is the conductor of the orchestra. So the point I'm driving at is that those the soul, you see, most people think their soul's in their body. No, your body's in your soul. Your energy field can be huge. When you're in a good mood, your energy field can be 60 feet from your body. This is why when a master is in your presence, the whole room's being affected by them because the more love we have in us, the stronger and more powerful and the bigger our field gets. And that's why I tell people the silent master is the greatest lover and the silent teacher is the greatest teacher. Why? Because all they got to do is get on an airplane and they're healing everybody. Walk through the shopping mall and everyone's feeling them and looking at them. Who is that person? They don't even know why. They're just magnetically drawn to them. So anyhow, the, the point I was driving at is that it's the energy field that carries the information that directs the stem cells to differentiate into the different tissues and the Tibetan monks figured it out over 900 years ago, actually. And uh, it was only in 1972 when Richard Nixon had positive results from acupuncture that inspired Western scientists to investigate acupuncture. What they'd been saying was bullshit forever, that they identified that something's really going on. And just to show you how magnificent it is, I've got a book called Life Force by a physicist named Claude Swanson that's about 800 pages long. And it's all scientific research into life force. And in that book, among the many astounding experiments, there's an experiment done by, I believe, a Japanese scientist who did something quite marvelous. He worked with NASA to use, if I remember right, satellite imaging of the sun in real time and they were monitoring the solar activity like the solar flare activity and the energy from the sun and he simultaneously hooked people up to bio um, biofeedback devices and he put an acupuncture needle in a meridian and monitored the activity through the acupuncture needle and correlated it with the activity of the sun and guess what he showed? Something that goes completely against Newtonian physics. How long does it take a photon to get from the sun to the earth? Eight minutes or Eight so. Eight minutes. You know what he showed? It was instant. It was instant. That no matter what the sun did, it changed the electrical potential on that needle and it matched the sun's activity. And he showed beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are 100% in a phase-lock relationship with the activity of the sun. If there's a solar burst on the sun, what is it, 93 million miles away? It's instantly happening inside your body. So just like you are inside the sun, you are inside your soul. And the soul is the unconditional love of God creating conditions so that it can love itself unconditionally. What are the conditions? The mental field, the archetypes that create the base level of consciousness steps down to the lower mental field, my beliefs about who I am, my social programming, which gives me a sense of ego or individuality, which steps down to the astral field, which carries the energy of dreaming, emotions, and connects you to the mental field, which steps down into the physical body to become the etheric field, which is the interface between the chakras of the higher vibrational systems and the physical cells. 
and then you have the body at the bottom end. If you look at the tree of life in Kabbalah, at the top you have divine fire, which is the power of infinity, which steps itself down to the air element, which is mind, which steps itself to the water element, which is feelings, emotions, and what connects us through love, which steps itself down into the earth element, which is embodiment. And that's the process that the entire universe is created by. And so, what I'm sharing with you is, is the answer to your question. How does that happen? That's how it happens. And that's why great healers can do the things they do, because they're way beyond science. They're What we call science is way behind healers that we're doing, <laughs> sitting in caves th- thousands of years ago. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I'm totally with you about that. Uh, I've I've read a few books, one by the protege of uh, Robert O. Becker. He wrote a great book called, so this, this man's name was Dr. Andrew Marino, and mm-hmm. he studied electromagnetic radiation and how it affected life because when he entered Becker's lab as a graduate student for his PhD in biophysics, he Becker didn't really give him, Becker was a quiet guy, you know, doing his research mm-hmm. on this bioelectricity. He didn't really give Marino much direction. So he said, well, why don't I study how these external fields affect these internal systems? And they found negative effects from, you know, well, varying effects, but significant nonetheless mm-hmm. from uh, all sorts of fields. And they came to re- realize that the fields, for example, from power lines that the power companies were saying are totally safe yeah. were not, in fact, as safe as they wanted them, as they wanted people to think. And they actually started stepping into you know court cases and litigation of people suing the power companies back in the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s over the high voltage lines that were going up over their farms, affecting Which their cows Which caused leukemia in a lot of people. Yeah, this was one of their discoveries. It would cause... Uh, uh, erratic laying patterns of chickens' eggs and mm-hmm. milk production from cows and all sorts of issues even in the people. And this was the beginning of the what they call now the tinfoil hat conspiracy, but it's not really a conspiracy no. at all. It's just science, uh, research and, mm-hmm. and truth that they were discovering that was hidden by, well, multiple players, the Navy, because the risks of uh, the effect of people in the service knowing about the health effects of radar on servicemen, especially in submarines mm-hmm. during the Cold War, it wasn't a good look for the Navy. So they kind of, not kind of, they, they buried, it. buried it all after multiple meetings with the top scientists in the country. He documents all of this in his book called uh, Going Somewhere, Truth About a Life in Science. And it, it's a very clear picture of how science is just bought and sold. You mm-hmm. know, most scientists are just academics who they get grants and they're producing nothing of real meaningful value for people. Mm-hmm. It's just to get the next grant. So it's all just people talking in their circles, approving each other, doing their peer review, and not producing anything really significant because anything significant disturbs the system. And, and this is what Thomas Kuhn wrote about in the structure of scientific revolutions. It basically, the paradigm shift, you know, that's the, the term he coined. People would have to die for the new, ultimately, not through murder, but through time. Yeah, the, the chief scientists and the chief professors have to die before new ideas can come forth. Have you studied the book The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg? I have not. That will blow your mind, and it's on exactly what we're talking about. It's the entire history of electricity and its effect on all living organisms, including what it does to human bodies and what the effects of 5G are and how it disrupts nature and lots and lots of other stuff. And I won't go into it because it'll sidetrack us too much, but you can get it on Audible. It's about a seven or 800 page book, but it's really good. I mean, it's rivetingly good. And the Audible book is fantastic. Um, but back to your issue here. Here you go. L, 
stands for life. In order to live, you have to have the desire to live. You breathe because you have the desire to breathe. If you lose the desire to live, what happens? You die. Or you commit suicide. So the L of life, of love, stands for life, which is a positive charge, which is lacking electrons, which produces desire. O stands for zero, source, pure potential, infinite power, infinite potential, infinite processing power. In religion, Christianity, omnipresent, all, omniscient, all-knowing, um, omnipotent, all-powerful, that means infinitely powerful. VE is the scientific notation for volt electron. You can there's a science dictionary right behind me if you behind you if you want to look. The electromotive force is the will of the divine consciousness. Because there is no other besides God, God is all alone. Therefore, God's desire to experience and know itself is the act of looking in, which produces will. The electromotive force and all of love, and love is God looking into itself to have a relationship with itself, which produces selves, planets, worlds, beings, universes. To the degree that you have desire, you have will. So I say love is like a jet engine. The harder it sucks, the harder it blows. Mm. When you had the desire to heal yourself, you produced the will to heal yourself. When you had the desire to change your perspective on things, you produced the will to change your perspective because desire and will produce each other. So, if you look at that, atomically, that's a proton, neutron, electron. There's the structure of the atom. That's how the whole universe is held together. And that's what love is. Amazing. I think that's a, that's a very deep, deep, probably one of the deepest uh, expositions of how of what love really is and how things work in the universe. took me three years of meditating on the question, what is love, to finally get clear what my soul was trying to tell me. And then I said to my soul, there, are there any books in my library that have that in it? And my soul said yes, and it led me to three books. One was by, I believe, Misho Kushi, the, one of the pioneers of um, veganism. And another one was Richard Wilhelm and his Tao Te Ching. In the back, he's got a whole section of explanations. And there, uh, another book I have called The Physics of Love. Amazing. I'd and, like to read them. And that's how you know when your soul's guiding you, because it teaches you something, and then you ask, is this in any books? Or you can go the other way, is it in any books? I like to ask my soul for guidance first, because if I just ask where the book is, then I don't really get the confidence of knowing that I'm developing the relationship with my soul. So I prefer to let my soul teach me, so my soul taught me that, and then when I found it in books, it blew my mind. I'm like, oh my God, people have figured this out before. And then I can use the references, because if I just said this to a bunch of people that were academically minded, like most Westerners, they wouldn't believe me. But if I say, oh, you got to go look in the physics of love, then they'll believe me. Because <laughs> it's in a book somewhere. Yeah. Fantastic. I really like that. My, my only wonder would be, you know, because obviously this is using the English word love. I wonder how that translates over to other languages. I imagine you can find it everywhere you look. You probably could. Um 
you know, the secrets are hidden everywhere. They really are. Um, I had to work with what I had. Um, I imagine you could, you know, if you want a different approach to it, I can give you one real fast. Eros is the masculine expression, loving another, loving outwardly, and agape is the inward expression. We experience desire within ourselves, or we wouldn't know we had desire. So the feminine expression of love, yin, is agape. That's what holds things together. Yin brings things together and grows them, and yang expresses them. So eros is ve, volt electron, that which moves, and agape is that which holds together and grows. So there would be a, a I'm giving you two different ways of saying love. Agape is is love and Eros is love. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, you've you've certainly been doing some really amazing deep digging. I mean, how old are you now? 22. 22. I mean, you're talking to me about things that took me till I was in my 40s to figure out. And that was looking hard, you know. Um, but you're smart. You know how to find people like Joe Dispenza and others that can you know, put you on the fast track to awakening. Um, is there anything as an update on light you want to give us a short synopsis of? Let's see. I would say... I can give you an update on my tobacco <laughs> here. Of course. <laughs> so overall... The, for light, I recommend people go back to the first podcast because I think we did a really sufficient we did, job really. on there. Yeah, we did. Uh, as far as you know, I've I've learned quite a few things over the past few years. Naturally, more of it, much more have, of it, has been in the spiritual and personal realm because at a certain point, and this is probably the best update I could give, is that light is super important for health. Still, yeah, you know, like even great masters recommend sunbathing is one of the greatest treatments for sickness. Uh, in addition to meditation, there has been the use of sunbathing since ages for what they call heliotherapy, so like light therapy. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that people need light to be, not pretty clear, in fact, it's dead, ex- clear. dead clear that people need light to be healthy at, at the, the core. Now, there are monks who I've read about now who live in total darkness, like in caves for months or even years, mm-hmm. and they're able to sustain on that inner light. For, so for those who are so masterful, so as to do that, that's possible. For most of us, especially those climbing up the path, I found very few things as helpful uh, to elevate the way I feel every day as the sun. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. just laying in a sun bath, it's almost like an instant meditation. I'll, I'll drift into a almost nap, like a theta state. I'll come back. Like I was only out for a few minutes, but it feels like I went to a different world. Mm-hmm. So, so light's been really useful in that. And I do have to mention something as well. I was at, at a store recently in, uh, in Texas and I saw the amazing, uh, smoothie store and they have some great books on the shelf, some spiritual books. But then there was this one book I saw that was titled, get the F word out of the sun. <laughs> and, and it was just funny because it was a, from a, a beauty blogger, like someone who's really 
in that paradigm of like, you know, in order to look good, you need to get out of the sun and you need to not get any sun and you can supplement for vitamin D. First of all, supplementation for vitamin D should have said in order to look good and get COVID. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause you supplemental vitamin D, there's tons of literature on it. It's nowhere near as effective as getting it from the sun. In fact, it's oftentimes toxic because mm-hmm. cholecalciferol, which is the main ingredient in a lot of these supplements is like also a active ingredient in rat poison. It's, it's not a good situation. So avoiding the sun is not good. And there's a really great study, uh, meta-analysis, or I should say, you know, it's, it's, it's just a one study, but from a group of women who were in, involved in a study looking into skin cancer. And in this case, they followed up with these women uh, years later between the groups. There was the group of the women who got the most sun, the women who got, you know, moderate sun exposure and the ones who actively avoided the sun. Mm-hmm. And at, you know, 20 years later and women of varying ages, but mostly, you know, older in their later in their life, the women who avoided the sun were twice as likely to die from every disease. So mm. chronic illness in general, they call it all cause mortality, of yep. course, in the literature than the women who got not some sun, but the ones who got the most sun. Wow. So it's, it just, it's one example of many great studies. California girls. Yeah. Of, of exactly. There's many great examples out there of studies uh, in the literature on sunlight and how overall the risks are so minimal compared to the benefits. And it can be, there's a very strong case to be made, in fact, based on, again, the available evidence that, you know, skin cancer is a relatively new phenomenon. Skin cancer hasn't been massive, except even for the last, it's been skyrocketing. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's skyrocketing correlates I very closely with the avoidance of sun exposure. So the more people wear sunscreen, wear sunglasses, which are also damaging. And, and many of the sunscreens are toxic and too. Of course, the sunscreens are toxic as well. So more of, of these things, avoidance of sunlight in general, skin cancer rates have continued to skyrocket, oftentimes in people who spend most of their time indoors, even on places in the body where they don't get very much sun, people get skin cancer. So for those who are really inquisitive and interesting in understanding things deeper, which of course your listenership is more than most, it's it's it really should raise the question like why? Why are we being told the sun, the the force giver of, of life on earth within this solar system? You know, why are we demonizing the very thing that powers our intellectual faculties in order to be able to demonize something? The very thing that gives us the function of all life of a brain. Oh, of, I can answer that you know, for you because it's profitable. That is that is a great answer. Have you ever found yourself feeling frustrated because you can't find food worth eating in airports when working on the road, traveling, or when pressed for time and you have to rush out of the house before you can make something you can trust as real food? I know I sure have. Well, I've got a beautiful surprise for you. I found Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley has extremely high standards and use only the highest quality, cleanest sources for their animal and plant food products, and they have excellent jerky meats, neatly packaged so you can take them anywhere and never be stuck without something great to feed your beautiful body and stabilize your mind. I love their pasture-raised turkey sticks in their original or cranberry orange flavor. I'm allergic to beef, but Angie, Penny, and the kids absolutely love their grass-fed beef sticks, which come in jalapeno, summer sausage, garlic summer sausage, teriyaki, and original flavors. I can assure you Paleo Valley's meat sticks are so good you could literally make a meal out of them or have them as snacks and you'd feel satisfied and satiated and know you've fed your body top quality nutrition that will make your cells dance for joy. 
Paleo Valley has lots of other great additions to meet your food nutrition needs, and their website is loaded with great articles, podcasts, recipes, and more. Go to paleovalley.com, that's P-A-L-E-O valley.com, and get your 15% Living 4D discount by using the code CHECK15. That's small K-C-H-E-K, 15 on checkout. The whole family will be satiated, nourished, and glad that you did. Enjoy. Anyway, I saw this book, and it's just something, it, it reminded me, because uh, I live in my sort of world, mm-hmm. that there are a lot of people, um, charlatans, you know, spewing lies, and it's because it's cool, it's profitable, it's old, outdated science. But to me, I actually went on a bit of like an Instagram, and I don't do this frequently because I try to keep myself calm and centered, and I did my best in this situation when faced with something that was so obtusely wrong, and, and I call yeah. it dangerous. I call yeah. it dangerous, and people say, oh, chill, you know, some very few people, um, but some, you know, on at least on the Instagram are like, oh, you know, she's great. Like um, this person and it's, it's, and I'm sure they are. I'm sure I shouldn't say I'm sure. Cause I don't know them, but I imagine they ultimately have good intentions. And mm-hmm. at the core, I'd like to think that um, I really doubt that these people have malice truly. However, when there's an idea like that, that's based on old outdated science that is highly damaging and it's, it's indoctrinating a generation of young women who yeah. look up to this, these, these people, this women in particular, and it's indoctrinating them to think that they need to stay out of the sun. And those 16, 17, 18 year olds, they're going to be at double the risk of death from all diseases, mm-hmm. whether it's due to autoimmune issues or just le- limited or dysfunctional immune system mitochondrial dysfunction as a result of lack of sunlight exposure like and even worse they wear these they buy these face shields like it was writing the book like you know the dermatologist praising the book was like when i couldn't convince anyone to stay out of the sun but when this woman made this post we sold out of these you know these face face shields for blocking uva and uvb light flew off the shelves and so then you're actually when you block the uva and uvb and a lot of the infrared as well, you're putting the cells in a uh, ultimately toxic environment with excess high energy blue light and lacking the infrared and the ultraviolet, which are both very life-giving and mm-hmm. important for cells. Yeah. Hence, they call it the full spectrum. So it's it's really just something that people, uh, I, I realized I, I ought to, to do a little bit more work at least as as far as reminding people and making this more uh, you know prominent. And so I'm I'm working on uh, you know, the light diet, this protocol now it's much more spiritual. And the cool thing about the light diet as a, as a name of my brand and my Instagram and the things I'm teaching about besides the company raw and raw optics is that it isn't just about light. So the progression of the light diet was at first, it was about light. I thought it was all about sunlight and blocking artificial light so much so that a friend of mine said one day, why don't you call it the sunlight diet? Like light diet makes it sound like it's about just like eating salads. And I thought, no, it just doesn't feel right. And then I learned later on, it's because it's not just about sunlight, it's about spiritual light and Mm -hmm. taking in energy light. Now there's another third meaning, which ultimately I've learned that, at least according to the ancient yogis, those who really went super deep in this practice, if they were just stuffing their faces full of food, they can't as easily at least attain these higher states. So Mm -hmm. there's a very important key uh, aspect of moderation and discipline and fasting as Mm -hmm. well, which was used. And that is the third sort of meaning of the light diet. The fourth, which is a change on the word diet, which is a diet is a group of people who meet about something like the diet of worms, you know, historical meetings of, of people. It's a diet. So the light diet could also be like you and I sitting here just having a discussion about light and spiritual matters. Anyhow, so 
as far as new information about light, there's there's always new research coming out. People can follow me on my Instagram if they want to see cool things I've been learning about um, and you know follow our email list and things at rawoptics.com. But those are some some highlights, I would say. Yeah, that's good. I think this is so important. I'm glad that you're paying attention to that and creating a, 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 a counterbalance to the misinformation. You know, one thing the medical system has done is as helpful as it can be if you're in an emergency situation. We, we Western medicine's fantastic, but because it's really based on uh, drug sales and surgical procedures and and test procedures, um, they eliminate anything that's out there to the best of their ability that helps people be healthy because that's not profitable to them. And anybody can look into the history of Rockefeller and how he basically wiped out natural health to create the AMA. Yeah, of course. And Abraham Flexner, Flexner Report. Yeah, Flexner Report, yeah. And so the situation is, is that we really have, which we can see with the whole thing that's been going on with the so-called pandemic, is, is really a, um, a very well-orchestrated um, method of forcing medical intervention to get more and more taxpayers' dollars into the hands of the very few, like the Rockefellers and and uh, Bill Gates and, and Fauci and crew. Um, so it, it's, you know, this this type of situation is, isn't healthy, but from a spiritual perspective, it produces exactly the kind of resistance within us because when we get sick, we have a choice. Keep doing what everybody else is doing and get sicker. Or find people that have healed themselves from what ails you and ask them how is it that they did it. And inevitably we find they went and laid in the sun and did the opposite of what they're being told. And they ate real food instead of taking more drugs. And they uh, changed the quality of the water. And they got more sleep. And it, it always runs down to just a few basic foundation principles because without those you can't heal from anything. And the body, as you know, has the wisdom to heal itself from anything. There's really I don't think there's anything that can't be healed if a person has enough focus and enough love to really clearly manifest what they want as opposed to being trapped in what they don't want. But the point I'm driving at is that, you know, the world is a schoolyard for souls. And one of the things we have to have is we have to have a negative polarity that gives us resistance so that just like we go to the gym and we pick up heavy objects, we don't say we got to get rid of the weights in the gym. It's too hard we realize that the negative polarity, we have to overcome the inertia of the mass through the use of our own muscles, and that work is what creates growth potential. So when we find ourselves in a world full of bad ideas that aren't working for everybody, even though they're being touted as good, if you just pay attention, you see these aren't working. We are the sickest people we've ever been, but we've got the so-called best medical science we've ever had. Well, if it was the best medical science, we'd be the healthiest people. Yes. So the reality of it is, is that we come to the world where we engage in programming that turns out not to be true. And when we awaken to the fact that we have to create our own truth and find our own path, which is what the hero's journey is all about, then we start investigating what is actually true for us and what is actually true for fact. Like you've been speaking about the sunlight, 
And then we authentically own our knowledge. Instead of it just being somebody else's ideas that were told to us that we just believe, now we have to engage the process of authenticating knowledge, and that's what produces wisdom. Yeah. Knowledge without experience is just information. Knowledge yeah. with experience produces wisdom, and wisdom is what enhances your survivability because wisdom is what's true. Knowledge is just information. And I think that's an important thing for everybody to realize because there's just more disinformation and propaganda in the world now than there ever has been. And people get caught in it and get confined into rooms and wearing masks or whatever else, but they don't ask the question, is it really true? Let me look into this. Oh, look, oh, there's all these studies saying that masks do not help, and they actually make it worse, and they make you sicker, and they disrupt your autonomic nervous system and your gas ratios, and, and they cause social dysfunctions, etc., etc. But the, the key point I'm making is that it's up to us to go from believing things as though they're facts to paying attention as to whether or not those so-called facts are enhancing the quality of our life and our vitality. And if they're not, then those facts are not true for us. Then we have to authenticate the knowledge by saying, what is it that I can do? And that's really what your story is, isn't it? Yes. That's how you healed yourself. Yeah, it's been really amazing. And, you know, being here speaking, uh, my my goal, I, I'm st still very much in my journey, you know, and, and learning. And uh, I'm grateful to be able to share from what I've experienced thus far. It's, I, I wouldn't consider myself, let's say, like uh, some, you know, spiritual master per se that, you know, I should tell people you should do this type of meditation or this type of thing. Um, really, maybe down the road, I'd love to be able to to share that that kind of uh, wisdom as you do, of course. And simply for me, I'd like to open people's minds to just the, the sort of case for spirituality and meditation from my own experience. It's that you know I tried so many different things, and and they all had a benefit, but they mm -hmm. didn't they didn't they didn't fully lead to the way I wanted to feel. And so we, we had this amazing, we have this amazing conversation going earlier. We were speaking about this, these universal truths, let's say that we are sort of one and God, you know, God wants to come and experience itself and, and, you know, live in the school of souls. And, and Dr. Joe Dispenza says something similar, you know, God was asking the question in a way, is there more, you know, than just pure oneness all the time. And so, in in that perspective, the question I would ask myself, and I did many times, was like, well, if it's just this amazing big cosmic dream, then why am I struggling on, or why was I in particular struggling so much on a day-to-day -day basis? And what are things that people could start to do to get into this was the question, of course, that I was asking. And for me, as I've shared, just taking the time to go inward and do a meditation practice. As I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but oftentimes when I'd go, so for example, I could go into a day or even a week or months, or even as in this case throughout my life, years where I'm running, as you said, these sort of unconscious programs, I'm running the program over and over and over. And, and it doesn't really make a meaningful change. And then I could go into a meditation and only through that quieting of everything else 
realize that I've been telling myself this 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 idea, um, you know, in a way trying to validate or invalidate this information as you've shared here, and and then oh, I, I could only in that state of truly letting go of the most fundamental beliefs because the things that we attach to that create our you know experience of the world. They're subconscious, right? And then a lot of the time, because they're subconscious, we're not aware of them. They're so deeply held yeah. that we're not even aware of them. So letting these things come to the surface, and which I have found is is best and only, or not only, but most easily, and maybe only some some say done through meditation and seeing these some things come up and just saying all of a sudden like this isn't true. Like I don't have to live my life like this. So for example, I um. There's, you know, many people like I just had a, uh, there was a friend of mine I ran into the other day who was just telling me um, that, you know, he had a lot of uh, great things going on overall in his life. But then there was this big challenge surrounding uh, finance. And I, of course, I'm just thinking to myself, okay, well, I've been also, you know, learning through that. Maybe I could offer some, some valuable advice. And I, in in this case, and, and this is sort of a, a digression, but it, it'll all come together. I noticed that in our society and in my generation in particular, there seems to be a large, a large group of, of uh, people and just a general mindset that like uh, th- money and things will just come just by like manifesting or just by kind of yeah, manifesting, you know, people really, especially in the more spiritual communities, people believe in manifesting. And I totally also do. I, I believe that's the, the word manifesting. I'm not the biggest fan of, cause to me, it, it, it implies to people that you don't really have to do the work, so to speak, uh, to get an outcome like, Oh, I can just manifest this thing. What I, what I, what I'm trying to, um, pinpoint here is that Yes, you can quote unquote manifest or create your reality, but from in my own experience, it wasn't just like sitting like uh, expecting, right? It was mm-hmm. it was actually going in, and every single painful thing that I had accumulated, all these let's say false beliefs, but things that I was doing that were just not optimal. So I'll see if I can give some tangible examples i'd love Staying to especially for anyone <laughs> well actually so i never really stayed up too late at night so i did a lot of things right from a health perspective um so in my business this is a great example for you know for there are many people who might listen to your podcast who are uh older more experienced business people i would have like i would hire for example i hired a couple employees early on in my business and and what i was doing by hiring people wasn't it wasn't building on something that i was really stoked about it was actually running away from my problems. It was trying to bring people in so that I didn't have to face myself. And so as I described earlier, I got to this place where that was compounding, this constant fear of showing up and facing my life. It was compounding, compounding, compounding. It's a great observation you made there, especially at your age. I mean, well, that's that's a very, um, you know, that's a real um, wisdom hit there. I appreciate it. I had a, I had a, you know, money in the bank and I, so I was able to spend it for several months, um, you know, to kind of, I, I didn't, I didn't look, I just didn't look cause I didn't want to look, I didn't want to see what was going on. Right. So I spent money and month by month, by month our you know, my bank account, business bank account was draining, right. Going down. 
They Actually, do that. Okay they do not. that. Yeah, right. And <laughs> but after a while, it was it was going like negative. I was accumulating more and more debt on credit cards because mm-hmm. I'll run expenses through credit cards for the points and the purchase protection and stuff. But I would always be able to pay it on the spot. That was the goal, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it should be. But in this case, I I eventually got to a point where I couldn't, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, and it hurt so much. And at the same time, a relationship, a girl who deeply loved me and I deeply loved you know, was sort of moved on as I, I also told you the story a little bit earlier, but sort of uh, moved on and it hurt, that hurt so much because I thought that I was like totally good. Like I was re- kind of had already moved on, had gone traveling and kind of had, you know, gone on living my life, but I didn't realize how much of a, a, a connection I felt there and how mm-hmm. valuable that mm-hmm. th- those things are, you know, the things that really matter, not just mm-hmm. the superficial stuff, but the real deep love. And so all of a sudden that was like, a huge kick in the butt and at the same time as this challenge is going on in my business. And it was like, I felt like the whole world was kind of falling apart before yeah. me. And yet I had been studying, you know, and learning from Dispenza enough to know, well, I could give up and throw in the towel and say, you know what, I got to move on to another venture, at least in my business, you know, the relationships, I can't, I can't save that. But, uh, I had at least my business still, you know, functional. And the question was, I could throw in the towel and say, I'm going to give up. Or I could say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to not, I'm not even going to count my losses. I'm just going to say it is what it is. You know, I am where I am. And this is, I think the most valuable exercise in any case. And it's almost a cliche, but I think it's important that it's understood for how, how powerful it is to say like in any one moment, like we're here and every money we've lost, like in the business, I think business can be a great analogy for life. Like all the money that's been spent on, you know, we've wasted or lost, not wasted. It's only a waste if we don't learn the lesson, right? But it's like lost, you know, tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars on things that because I wasn't showing up. And so I finally started showing up and I had to let go of employees. And I had all of a sudden so much more responsibility, but I just literally had to put my head down and get after it and just overcome. And the thing that was so interesting was I realized from the spiritual perspective, like it wasn't about the work that I was doing outside. That was all a, a sort of externalization. That was a reflection of what was going on inside. As soon as I started doing this work inside, which was sort of triggered out of necessity, let's say God showing me that my business was going in a, in not the right direction was the sign I needed to say, I got to change things. And I started all of a sudden asking the questions, well, Dispenza will say, as 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 many do, that many people it takes crisis, disease, mm-hmm. all these things to finally want to change. For me, that was the case. Um, in this case, I was in a pretty what felt really challenging situation. Thankfully, not like life threatening. You know, I would be fine anyway. But I finally had to decide, like, I, I'm going to change. And I, I asked myself, well, what are the things? You know, and, and from a, in a business context, well, if my if, if my, this is just how my mind thought about it. Like if, if my financials are sort of negative, well, why don't I just think of it like I'm starting fresh? Like I might as well, you know, like I'm starting a new thing and I get to apply all my new ideas and, and new knowledge to a new thing. And I thought, well, first of all, raw optics is awesome, but it, I knew it wasn't meant to be about just optics, just eyewear. Mm-hmm. I knew it was meant to be even greater, much more helping people in many more ways. And so that's when I realized, well, I want, raw raw is the, the the true brand and optics is just sort of a subsidiary and so mm-hmm. i started shifting energy into raw and all the amazing new products we're working on in lighting are going to be under raw but it it was it was looking at that the thing that was so interesting is of course that's what it took for me but if if in any way anyone at any point in any situation in life can realize that like 
everything that's happened is past. Like whatever you've sunk in energy into, it's like a, I've heard it's the term is called the sunk cost fallacy. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're in, you're playing poker or blackjack. You've gone really deep in on a hand, but you know the guy across the table has better cards than you for sure. Yeah. Um, just based on the way it's all you know come down on the table, you could kind of try to bluff, you know, bluff your way out of it and keep going, and you might win occasionally. Uh, but that don't, that only lasts for so long, bluffing, right? And, mm-hmm. and and that's what many people I think do in our lives. We kind of bluff, thinking, "Oh, we're going to make it work." I had to literally show my hand. The best thing I could have done was, you know, well, you, you don't have to necessarily show your hand. You can fold and just say, "You know, what? I lost that money, but I'm going to go in and, and do a better job next time and be more intelligent." And in, in my experience in the business, it was just saying, "I'm not going to." kill myself over all the mistakes I've made. I'm going to learn the lesson mm-hmm. and I'm going to come back in and, and start, start fresh and start doing things the way I want to do. And, uh, um, you know, over a year later now from that, that challenging experience, let's say I had, I had, I have basically taken my whole business. I took it into my own hands. I started doing all the things that I was sort of shying away from. And whenever there was a problem, I just started showing up and saying, well, as you said, you know, it's never going to get easier per se in in the sense of the challenges that i face are never going to get easier i realized one day i was in the shower i was like god jeff bezos you know he's dealing with so much stuff at amazon like i can only imagine you know beliefs about what amazon's doing good or bad for the world aside like that guy is doing a lot Mm. and i I can only imagine he would look at my business say this is peanuts you do this 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 and this don't waste your time on it because it's so small they wouldn't even give it the time of day per se and in relative to a multi-trillion or multi-billion dollar company like amazon and I just thought, what if I could take that, like, let's say a higher business consciousness now with, with a positive approach to the world and to the environment and all that stuff, but a higher way of thinking about problems and look at my business, how would I start addressing my own challenges? Surely other people have done this. And it was just that prayer, let's mm-hmm. say, that evocation to the universe, yeah. putting some intention out that I opened up that channel as you explained beautifully through your example of love to be able to then receive, I had that will that opened the opportunity for that desire to come in that, that response. And all of a sudden I started facing every question in my business. Like it's not going to be easy, but I can overcome myself and do it. And this was a really striking thing is like one day I might have what some would consider the weight of their world on the shoulders. Uh, let's just say, you know, in a way that maybe you do now with all the responsibilities and a family, you know, I could have a family and kids Mm -hmm. and a wife and a much bigger business with many employees Mm -hmm. and how, like it's, it wasn't about all the things I have to do on my to-do list the next day. It's like, as a great friend of mine put it one time, it's like, who is the guy who I have to become, who would be able to handle that and not handle it constantly stressed, but handle it with ease and peace. And I love the, you know, the Bible verse, um, you know, even though you've, you've gone to great lengths to share the, the challenges of the Bible and how many people have been negatively affected through certain, uh, most of us just do misunderstanding and misinterpretation. Yeah. And, but there's a verse, you know, Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if, if I could, and it sounds so simple, but it's these simple things like just you said standing like your monk master told you to do. It's the simple thing. If I could just take everything, even this podcast, and just say, you know what, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and approach it in such a way that I'm willing to face challenges and overcome them, everything started to become easier. And then I started to learn what was really interesting, going from what would be maybe more of a, I would say, more feminine energy. As I mentioned, I had this imbalance. And so this is sort of the playing out of this own imbalance in my own life 
and overcoming it, let's say more feminine energy, and of course, nothing wrong with feminine energy, it's necessary for all life and all creation, right? But in the context of running a business, I came to understand that I needed a little, definitely a lot more masculine energy Mm -hmm. to come in and face challenges and not shy away, but just go straight and head on to my fears. That's the warrior archetype. You needed the warrior in you. I needed to start awakening the warrior. And and the more I did, the easier it became. And it, it was just such a, it's such a simple concept. It's like you just, I just had to start showing up every day and overcoming. Now I bounced to a bit of a, maybe a other extreme where I would work maybe too many hours or too hard and then literally fatigue my brain to the point where I would be so tired, I'd, my body wouldn't even be able to recover enough, even with eight or nine or 10 hours of sleep, I'd still wake up feeling a little uh, tired. Mm-hmm. And then I you know, started to learn the value of what uh, apparently Ernest Hemingway always uh, would say that you always have to, in his opinion, you always want to leave a little bit left in the tank. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to work yourself to your dead, leave something in the tank for tomorrow. Of course, he's a writer, he's creative, so he needed, he knew this from his own experience. And I started to realize like there's a way there is for sure a way that I could live my life where I'm waking up every day and doing all the things I want to do I'm doing my training I'm doing my meditation I'm doing my eating the way I want to eat I'm working on my business I'm spending time with friends and I am not overdoing it on my work I'm and and so it became not just a matter of overcoming myself on different issues that had come up in my business but then overcoming myself to a whole new level of like gosh, there's so much to do, but I, I can't necessarily do all of it. And, and starting to invoke the, the 80-20 principle as, mm-hmm. as it's put in one way. You know, enzymes are one of the most important things we can use to supplement our diet. Very few people have normal levels of digestive enzymes. It's extremely common to be digestive enzyme deficient because so many people are eating cooked foods, processed foods, packaged foods, etc. The best digestive enzymes I've ever found are masszymes by Bioptimizers. And one of the things I like about them is not only are they the most advanced technology for how they're produced, the science behind them, but I take them on an empty stomach every morning and every night as proteolytic enzymes to help clean my body. So I've got Wade here, who's the formulator of these enzymes, to tell us how do they work as digestive and proteolytic enzymes, because today I think we really need to be supplementing with high quality enzymes. So Wade, what's unique about masszymes? Well, one of the interesting things is undigested protein is one of the biggest contaminants that cause problem for people, whether it's in their blood or inflammatory conditions or even impairing recovery. And it's quite common amongst athletes who have high protein diets, interesting enough, who are looking to add recovery, but they're not breaking down their protein effectively. And that was my case way back in the day as a former bodybuilding champion. So we set about cultivating and developing an enzyme formulation that handled all of the amino acids in a pH range from 2 to 12, as well as providing an assortment of assistant enzymes. In other words, it doesn't just break down protein, it handles carbohydrates, it handles fats, it handles fibers, a variety of different things. And they work synergistically together to make sure that you can break down just about any food and digest it properly. Now, when you talk about the difference between enzymes, there's digestive enzymes and systemic enzymes. Systemic enzymes such as like natokinase or serapeptase, well, they work, they don't help break down digestion, but they can break down inflammation or inflammatory conditions, undigested proteins or scarring tissue inside the body. Well, it turns out when you take masszymes 
on an empty stomach, it works exactly the same way. It will go into the bloodstream and now works as a systemic enzyme, reducing inflammation, accelerating recovery times. Matt just tore his Achilles tendon and made a full recovery after surgery within a few weeks, which they expected for many months. He was taking as many as 100 a day. Now, I'm not suggesting people do that, but this was an extreme condition. And the bottom line is Masszymes is great for recovery, for cleaning up undigested proteins in the system, as well for digesting just about any meal. If this isn't the best digestive enzyme or systemic enzyme that you've ever taken, you get your money back. That's the Bioptimizer guarantee. Right now, you can get a bottle of Masszymes for free. All you need to do is pay a small shipping fee, and there's no catch. There's no tricks, no forced continuity, nothing to cancel. They are so confident in their products that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee, so I'm positive you'll be satisfied with the results. So I strongly suggest you head over to the Bioptimizer's website and grab your bottle before they either run out or take this offer away. Go to masszymes.com forward slash Paul Free. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash Paul Free. All one word. You will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. Limit one per household. Offer is valid while supplies last. You're going to love their products. Go get it now before they run out. These are excellent products. I use them all the time. There are a few number of things, like for example, sitting here with you and having a conversation that serves to elevate many lives and, and, and spread you know the experiences I've had that hopefully would be of use to someone out there. That's a much better use of time than sitting doing administrative things. And yet, if I'm not doing that, let's say meditative practice every day, whatever it looks like for someone, again, that's not what I'm here to speak about right now, but maybe it's following the Kriya Yoga path, like reading Yogananda or Joe Dispenza or Michael Singer or Mm -hmm. following your work and following your particular recommendations for meditation and so on. Whichever it is, if I'm not, if I wasn't making that effort to overcome that limited emotional state, then I would see myself going into this trap of of wasting time on Mm -hmm. these lower level functions. And so Mm -hmm. the work was never outside of me. The work was always inside of me. And I just had to start doing it and facing my fears. And that has been the most freeing and beautiful thing. And, you know, at least for a man, it maybe it applies for a woman as well. Um, It has been so rewarding to overcome. And I'll add one more thing. This, this friend of mine, this yogi and Ayurvedic doctor, I've mentioned a few times, he, he shares a lot of wisdom from his deep studies of the ancient Hindu scriptures. And he tells me there is a bit of a, a difference between men and women in the male and female energy systems, actually Mm -hmm. quite significant. And Mm -hmm. that according to the ancient Hindu scriptures and also Ayurvedic wisdom, that men thrive primarily through overcoming themselves and through discipline, the the male energy system. And the female energy system thrives primarily through relaxation and taking time to relax and care for. Now, that doesn't mean men shouldn't have relaxation and women shouldn't have discipline, right? Because like if a woman just ate, you know, bad food all day or cake or whatever, that wouldn't be good for her. And if a guy worked all day long, Mm -hmm. as we discussed, it wouldn't be good for him. But so there's also that caveat there that it may not be the same. And, And that goes further. I mean, we can look at in Western world, many uh, women who overwork themselves as hard-hitting entrepreneurs 
uh, and ultimately end up with infertility or reproductive issues or all that's, sorts of that's challenges. That's called the masculin- masculinization of the woman. Yeah. And then we, of course, as I experienced personally, the feminization of men, mm-hmm. like I was never, you know, I have, my father's an amazing man and I love him, you know, to death. He's, he's really someone I, I look up to. And at the same time, just because of the circumstances of the way that my parents got divorced and the way I was raised, I didn't get, let's say as much of that masculine energy. Now, again, I wouldn't change a bit of it because it forced me to learn that lesson, but it seems that to be the case that you know this better than I think almost anyone that there is this massive also feminization of men mm-hmm. where no one's taught the value it seems of like getting up and having hard work. Like when I had this friend, you know, I mentioned who was telling me about his challenges with, with finances, I couldn't help but think, and I wanted to hold my tongue and, you know, I'd give the highest perspective I could, but I couldn't help but think about all the Mexican guys in the local neighborhood who are out there working for 15 bucks an hour to feed their family back across the border, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and just that that there's something really valuable about that and it for any guy especially listening to this cuz i can speak you know better to to that uh than i can to to women's experiences of the world but the value of getting up every day and diving into something difficult has and it's such a simple principle but that has completely transformed my life and it's like we think a, a lot of the time that um and this kind of goes full circle at least I have think I thought I can speak from my own personal experience experience. I thought that my happiness and my like way I experienced the world would be accumulation of a certain amount of money or business stature or oh how many employees work for your company, how big is your like something like that, superficial stuff. And yet that has nothing to do with how I'm experiencing the world on a daily basis. But what does have to do with how I experience the world on a daily basis is how did I show up and face the problems that I, the challenges, the obstacles that were put on my plate to handle for that day. And, and Ben Greenfield, who is actually the one who, thanks to Ben, if you ever hear this, who he, you know, did a text intro for us when he heard I was out in California in San Diego and so that's what brought me up mm, here in the first place. Right. But I remember hiking through the woods with him and his wife one time. And I remember telling him more from this, let's say, uh, feminine or shying away from my responsibilities in this particular area of my life and my business. I remember having a conversation from that energy kind of saying, I'm like, you know, I'm having some challenges. I don't know what's really going on in my life right now. I'm, I'm really thinking about maybe changing my direction. Uh, you know, I just don't know if, if, if this business is the right thing or whatever. I thought that the very business that was affording me all the amazing opportunities to come meet with people like yourself and the money to travel, I actually was in such a deluded state or such a, I had such a misperception that I thought that my business was actually limiting me. Like, uh, right. you know, I want to, I was thinking to myself, I want to spend more time researching and reading and that's like my true calling. Right. And that's the things I, I still feel like is ultimately my, my higher purpose. And yet, What's a really cool, and I'll I'll tell the story about Ben, but a cool kind of way things tied together for me was one night when I went up to New York City. Are you familiar with Luke's story? I know the name. I don't know much about him. Though. He he'd be a great guest. Isn't and he also, a Navy SEAL or something? No, no, no. He's no. this. He's a podcaster out of oh, LA. Okay. Uh, well, actually, he's based in Austin now, but he's a lifestyleist podcaster. Really, really amazing guy. His show's called The Lifestyles. In fact, you guys would make great guests, I believe, on on one another's show. So I see if I can make that happen. But anyhow. Uh, I remember hearing him uh, interviewing someone I was following at the time about learning about light 
And I thought, gosh, I've been studying this for so long, this, this particular area. I bet I could explain this stuff in a much more relatable manner for his more layperson audience, mm-hmm. this stuff about light. Yeah. And that was the stimulus when I was 17 years old that led me to drive up from Philly to New York City where he was given a lecture. He came all the way from LA. So I thought, oh, this is my chance, you know? And I asked him, hey, Luke, like, I've been studying this stuff about light. You interviewed this doctor. Um, you know, I, I know him, you know, we're good friends. And I'd love to come on your show and kind of teach this stuff in a way that I think some people might relate to more or differently. And he said, sure. And that's and so that actually was a podcast that sort of led to me ultimately coming out to California. Um, you know, several like high up people in Malibu and the whole health and wellness world heard that and started reaching out people like Ben. So ultimately it was that going for that opportunity that led to so many more opportunities with the business, with meeting you and so on. But that same night, sort of that fateful night in the sidewalk and somewhere in Manhattan, he asked back from me. So Luke's story being, let's say in this case, the father of you know, the God, the, the father of the universe, the cosmic universe. Through him, I was asked, he said, okay, yeah, he's like, sure, you can come on my podcast. Yes, but hey, like, where'd you guys get those cool glasses? Those, you know, glasses of my buddy was with me. We had them custom made at the time because my business didn't exist. And I tried to connect him with the company and it was a whole process. And I realized, you know, I can, I had just seen an article about how to tint the lenses yourself. I bought all the material. I was like, I could do this for you, man. And, and so it was interesting that the night that I asked the universe, like, Hey, I want to go out and spread this message, this stuff I'm passionate about. The universe was like, all right, but you got to be able to provide the products and mm-hmm. the, re- the resources. And you got to be willing to show up. You want it. Okay. I'll give it to you, but you got to be wanting to show up. And all that time, instead of being like, all right, like I'm going to show up, you know, it was like four or five years, like. Um, instead of saying, I'm going to show up every day and, and put in the effort that's being asked of me in exchange for what I've asked for. It was like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. It's so difficult. It was such a, and, and it, the moment I finally said, I'm just going to start showing up and take what's being asked of me. And this is what Ben, you know, again, the Lord speaking through Ben, when I asked him this question, I don't know if I'm on the right path. He said, you know, man, I think there's something really valuable to be said about taking what God puts on your plate every day and just doing the best that you possibly can with it. And at the time, I just wasn't prepared to receive that. It didn't seem like the answer I was looking for, right. but it was the answer I needed. You know, mm-hmm. I, I needed to just start showing up with whatever challenges were present. And back to the kind of full circle, the idea how you live your days is your life because a day is your life. And this goes to, you know, Aubrey has a catchy book title, uh, own, own the day, own yeah. your life. That's, mm-hmm. you know, similar principles. I would start showing up each day just a little bit better and a little bit better. How can I better face the challenges that are in my life and in my business? And all of a sudden, like, this is the last like year. I just started feeling this like burst of fulfillment, knowing that like I'm showing up, I'm doing the things. And now when I'm, you know, hiring more employees and building out a bigger team, it's like, I'm doing it because I'm ready for more responsibility, not to make it easier for myself, but I'm ready to step up to the next level, which isn't easier, but I'm prepared. And I'm bringing in people to support on the more foundational or starter levels, let's say. And that's, that's been, I guess that the journey of a lifetime for me, I don't know where it's going to go from here, but I'm sure because I was there that there are many other people who are there who aren't, don't feel like they can show up the way that they would want to. And again, it's, it's a cliche, but there's sometimes deep meanings behind cliches. It's like, they say like, if not now, when, you know, like if you don't, if you don't do it now, it's like your day is your day and your days make up your life. If you don't choose to make today, like a day where you're going to do that thing you've been saying you're going to do for years or overcome yourself. And I feel like I'm just sounding like, like some kind of motivational speaker, but it's really, it seems to be the truth from, from this experience I've had. We show up 
I've tried my best to start showing up and doing the best I can. And, and ultimately this is a, another big thing is not doing it for myself. You know, um, when, as long as I was doing it for myself, like to make more money or like self aggrandizement, Joe Dispenza has uh, also taken some time to cultivate a, a youth community because they have a huge community. And one of the things he did an amazing lecture on that I think would be valuable for anyone is, um, is the different types of motivation going from, you know, this, he, you know, he talks about how he studied them and from the top down, like purpose-driven motivation and then like principle motivation. So like purpose is like you have a real purpose bigger than yourself and principle would be like, I said, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to do it. And then there's a few other layers. I want to say, then there's like moral mode, morality motivation. Like I'm doing this cause it's right, you know, and mm-hmm. I believe it's right. But then below that there's like self-aggrandizement motivation, like to make you feel like, you know, get attention in the lowest meat being just pure money motivation. Right. And so like naturally, if you have the highest forms, you're going to have all the lower forms. You'll get the recognition you deserve, you know, you'll have the money. Mm-hmm. And so I realized I was just caught on somewhere between money motivation and self-aggrandizement motivation, even though my higher self who ultimately started the business and, and was pushing and, and giving that love and the force that kept me g- wanting to go and not throw in the towel when things seem super overly challenging at many points, it was that higher connection to the the purpose motivation. Like, what am I actually doing this for? Like, I believe that there are what we could call evil forces in the world, just as much as there's good forces mm-hmm. in the world. And like within each of our own lives, it seems to be the case, the hero's journey and the, the the journey that Christ spoke about in many masters. It's like the only thing that I understood that I can meaningfully contribute to this world is being at least a little bit more on the scale of the good than mm-hmm. on the evil. And evil isn't what people think. This is the, the thing that is so misunderstood. I feel I, I, I'd love your, actually, I'd love your, your input on this, but evil isn't what most people think it is like most people think I think evil is torturing children or like, you know, hurting people or whatever, like something obtusely evil in the Bible, uh, you know, and I wasn't even raised Christian, but just some ideas that I've gathered from my different studies. And I I think the Bible is a great resource for spiritual and moral ideas and values in general. Um, You know, there are many things that we wouldn't think are necessarily evil, but they're considered deadly sins like sloth, like laziness. I realized I was falling prey on a daily basis in my life to sloth, like mm-hmm. to not wanting to face the challenges of my life. And it's these really subtle evils. Like it's, they say it's the, it's the evils that are permitted to happen aren't because of the people who are necessarily, um, doing them, but it's, it's those who allow it to happen. I had this really interesting thought experiment as a kid. I don't know where this came from, but but like, if there was someone bullying someone else and the bully is going to be the bully and the bullied is going to get bullied and they can't defend themselves. And I'm the observer. I can walk away. But in that situation, if I'm aware of it, the only consciousness that has the potential to change the outcome there as I, as as far as I could reason was me. And so there's the opportunity to be turning away but then by leaning in, and this is just one example of many, like that, we hold that power to sort of change not only our own life, but this, what's we perceive is happening around us by becoming that force for good. And again, that's, it does, it does resonate awfully closely with the story of Christ who like loved everyone so much and that he literally took, as they say, the sins of others and all their evil and sin and hatred and, and just accepted it as his own, even though he didn't have to. And uh, sort of took it as like, you know, they were going to crucify or whatever these other guys. And he's like, take me or something like that. So um, anyhow, that's something that I think could be really, it's been very useful for me to say. Yeah, you know, I think what you're describing is 
what Jung calls individuation, which is the path to becoming whole, but, you know, we come into the world as infants, and then we become children, and then we become adolescents, and at some point, we have a choice of either becoming the victim, being a saboteur, or prostituting ourselves for money, or be staying the eternal child and being dependent upon other people to, to support us, and then realizing, for example, that whenever we use the words, I have to, those are the words of a child, because children have to do what mommy and daddy tells them to do. And then every time you hear yourself using the words, I have to, say, ah, there's the child. I choose to. Amen. And that's the day that the adult begins to sprout. And I think what you're really describing, because I know it well, and I've coached countless people through this process, is really realizing what it means to be an adult, but not only just to be an adult from the biological sense or the sense of responsibility, but what it means to become an adult spiritually. And, and, and to be an adult spiritually means to mean what you say and say what you mean. And that goes for your inner languaging too. And, and monitoring your thoughts and seeing where are your thoughts self-negating. Where are the responsibilities that you've created either to avoid or to engage, as you described, right? If you hire people to do things to give you a means of escaping what you need to do, then really you're acting out the desires of a child with the adult um, abilities that you have financially. Exactly what I did. And wow, did it have an educational effect. Yeah, and, and and that's what, see, because it has to. Because if you didn't go through this, then it would just be an idea. It wouldn't be an experience. And you wouldn't have the wisdom that you have. And so really, you're, you're, I could take my, my map of the Arthur Young's model of conscious evolution and show you exactly what you're talking about right on the map, because it's just clear as a bell. And, and I think what the beauty of your story today is, is that you're describing the situation that the majority of the people in the world are at, because it doesn't matter what your biological age is. That has no bearing on whether or not you're a child as an as a as a human being or as a in your social responsibility to yourself and your family and your friends and your society or whether you're a, a spiritual adult <clears throat> a spiritual adult accepts responsibility for what they're creating moment to moment and a child always figures that, that it's somebody else's fault or depends on somebody else to fix it for them and when we come to the realization that there are real responsibilities in love, and since everything is love, there is a responsibility. Look, if you buy a new car, it starts wearing out the day you buy it, and the next thing you know, it needs tires, the next thing you know, it needs a tune-up, and the next thing you know, lights aren't working, and brakes need to be fixed, and you know, you think, oh my God, this, <clears throat> this thing's wearing out. Well, that's because <clears throat> everything transforms. Everything goes through a process, and <clears throat> we, as an adult, say, my car needs an oil change. 
and my car needs new tires, and I got to do that. And if we don't do that, we find ourselves stuck on the side of the road, pissed off on the way to the most important job interview or sales opportunity of our life, and we kick the car, fucking car, piece of shit, and now you're hating the car that you loved 10 minutes ago, but not realizing you're just projecting your own childishness onto the car because the car will mirror back to you your relationship with it, your love of it, and your adult responsibility to it. My point is a car is nothing but a collection of atoms, and it's love that holds those atoms together. A relationship is two people made of atoms, but it's love that provides the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection between two living beings. And so, as you found in your relationships with women, there's an adult responsibility to manage that and to realize that our needs can change, that we each see things in the other that the other doesn't see, and that to confront those is scary. You know, oftentimes we have an inflated view of ourselves, maybe as in bed as a lover or with how smart we are or whatever. I mean, all it takes is most men to be around Penny for about 10 minutes and they realize they're not very smart at all. And, you know, the difference is for me when when Penny demonstrates her wisdom and smartness to me, I go, oh, thank God I married her. But a lot of men get very offended. In fact, Penny and many other smart women have told me that they had a really hard time with men because as soon as they found out how smart they were, the men got offended and started acting rude to them and pushed them away. Well, that's a child. That's not a man. Amen. You know? So ultimately, what I really enjoyed about what you shared today is you've actually shared the journey from being a child to becoming an adult physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And, and, you know, the journey never ends because God is infinite. So when we evolve to the point of mastering our physical reality, then we can move higher in our creative ability, just like we do in the business. We first master ourselves and we master managing five people, then 25 people, then 50 people. And then we master, you know, refining the craft and the product so that we can produce it even better at less cost to help more people. And then we have to master more relationships and more responsibilities. And so then you go to, you know, for many, many years, I had to make a hundred thousand a month before I got paid a dime. That's a lot of workshops. That's a lot of scientific back and scientific core conditioning. And there was many months that Penny and I didn't get a paycheck because we didn't have enough money to keep the staff on board. And I and Penny had to carry the responsibility of figuring out how to resolve those issues so we didn't lose our house or our car and could feed ourselves and keep the business running. And that's when you really have to look hard at what you're doing wrong, what you're not participating in. And when you grow up, you learn to become your own mother and your own father instead of depending on somebody from outside of you to do that for you. And I'm I'm impressed. I mean, what you've gone through and what you've realized in 22 years of life, honestly, most people in our culture don't even really start catching on to where you're at until they're 39, 40, 42. 
Hi everybody, I'm super excited to share one of my favorite Symbiotica products called the Omega. This is an amazing product. When I tried it the first time and every time, I found it very calming and very centering. And the immediate thought I had is that this product is great for people that are under a lot of stress and have busy minds. So I asked Shervine to come tell us what's unique about this amazing product, the Omega. Well, the fish oil industry is running havoc across the world, destroying our mother nature and providing oxidized omega-3 oils to so many people that just don't know. So a lot of the fish is toxic too. Super toxic. I mean, you're getting homeopathic doses of mercury, heavy metals, pesticides, plastics. I can go on and on if you understand homeopathy, which you do. And so we wanted to circumvent that. And guess what? Fish don't make DHA and EPA. They don't synthesize it. They're eating little sea creatures that are feeding on microalgae. So what did we do? We went to the cleanest place on earth, Nova Scotia, to extract a wild heirloom strain of algae with warm water. So it's still intact. It's still alive. And from there, we took other microalgaes, including one called astaxanthin, which we now know is the strongest antioxidant on earth. You know, it's that pigment that makes flamingos pink or makes salmon red. So we get that directly sourced from Iceland. You can see it in all my videos, me going through the whole grow facility. It's incredible stuff. I didn't stop there. We added organic lemon terpenes. We added phosphatidylcholine. We we used organic sea buckthorn oil, which is omega-3, 6, 7, and 9. This is one powerhouse omega product, never been done before. This is a flagship to Symbiotica, and it's an honor to be able to provide this product to so many mothers and children and everyone across the board. Yes. In fact, you know, my son's a high energy kid that doesn't like to sleep at night. So one of the first things that come out of the refrigerator is the omega to calm my mana down and mana means life force. So, hey, you guys, this is really top-notch stuff. I love it. I feel fantastic when I use it. So get on over to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and on checkout, use your code, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, uh, 15. That's check 15 to get your discount. And while you're there, check out all the other absolutely amazing products. And as always, love to hear your feedback. I'd love to add one one more thing here um, that I've observed. I ha- I recently met with someone, um, sort of, let's say family, loosely family, and uh, someone in their forties, and basically was just really shocked that this per- this particular person was living the life of a child mm-hmm. into their forties and yeah. like partying and talking about women and like all this stuff and like was talking about a relationship and what I because I of course would rather than saying you know, like, oh, I'm holier or something. No, 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 no. Like, I'm seeing myself in this. Yes. And seeing what characters, oh my gosh, I've been just like this yeah. with my relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, this sort of, for a, from a guy, uh, the side of the man, like, this sort of, oh, I'm not really sure, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if I want to commit. And I, I, this is my sort of addition here to this podcast. I think one of the, the probably the largest... Um, I want to say lie or delusion that I've come to believe that we're sold is the idea of like sexual freedom (laughs) as some kind of actual freedom. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the reason for this is because, so I've, I've had some, a few really, really uh, great relationships and and one in particular that was really meaningful to me. And, and then all of a sudden I sort of uh, gave it up in favor of this idea of this sort of like freedom that, that I was sort of 
fantasizing about my my life as a young child, like oh, I'll have this business again, the child with the business with the money still being the child uh, who who wasn't ready to become the adult was you know God was kind of saying, okay, well you're not ready, then you're going to lose this. But uh, it was from a relationship standpoint. Th- I, I can see because I see it among my peers. I see it in general. Like there's this idea you should, and it's it's actually societally perpetuated on a grand scale. Uh, Any almost everyone I speak to, um, if the idea of getting married at a younger age, at least in our society, now it's different in Russia, it's different in Mexico, but in our society in the Western world, between Europe, Western Europe, and the United States, at least, and then other Westernized places, is that you should should like stay single and sort of experience as many women from a man's perspective as you can before you make any commitment to marriage. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong at all. Um, that's what many, many people have, have advised me. And I, I would also love your perspective on this. But my, um, so my takeaway thus far was that if I could be in such a deep, meaningful relationship that gave me so much and then sort of forfeit it in for this kind of idea, you know, where the the payoff of like sex, for example, really isn't isn't as great as a deep loving relationship in my experience. Mm -hmm. And so basically having had this, having had an opportunity, I'm sort of talking about pretty personal matters here, but like having ended up, you know, little while later in in an amazing relationship. And there's just, I've of course started to beg the question in my mind, like, why would I, why would I ever like walk away from something like that? uh, This, why would I, um, not, you know, take what seems to be like the ultimate adult step and like make a commitment to being, for example, married or something like this. It's just, an, it's, it's, it's something I'm just really, it's, it's in my mind because everyone in society in general recommends, no, 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 no. experience the freedom, have the fun party, blah, 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 until you're, you know, thirties. And I'm just like, well, that's what everyone's saying. Typically that's usually wrong. So I should go the opposite direction of what everyone's telling me. And like owning that kind of commitment, it seemed to me like just in theory that for a man, uh, especially a young man, like one of maybe the best things you could do is to get married and have a commitment. Now, only if you're of the mind that you're actually going to be committed, like in the sense of maybe a, a what they would call like a Christian marriage. If you're going in, you're like, oh, if things get hard, we're going to get divorced. That's what a lot of people do, of course. To me, that was a, a really interesting idea. And I I, uh, I remembered, this is, again, funny sort of personal stories. I was with my aunt um, like over Thanksgiving break, I think a year and a half ago, just end of 2020. And I remember telling her similarly to my conversation with Ben, uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling. I feel like I'm lacking direction. This was in the throes of these, these challenges, these soul searching and everything. And she's like, well, you know, she's very uh, Catholic. And so I'm, she's like, and she's, uh, lives in Idaho. They got the kind of little accent. She's like, well, like you go get yourself like a wife and some kids and you'll have some direction real quick. You know, and <laughs> I just thought it was pretty funny advice in the moment. I was like, well, you no may not way. have direction, but you will have responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And responsibility without direction is a very dangerous thing for everybody involved. Yeah. So that was, it's just to illustrate, it's to illustrate a point that, um, it, it stuck, that point stuck in my mind. That was all on, if something sticks in my mind, I think, well, maybe there's truth or maybe not. It's maybe just something for evaluation as the, couple last few years went on since then i just thought you know like it 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 seems to me i could be wrong about this but observing the the life of a man that throughout most historic you know history not to say that everything that was done in history was correct it's like you come out of your home and like pretty in general 
men would go and get married and have a family like they're after. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's the right path, but it's been a really interesting experiment for me, a thought experiment to contrast what all my peers are doing or most of my peers are doing, which is like staying the eternal child, sleeping with as many girls as they can, going on Tinder, doing the whole thing. And basically from a biological perspective, just dispersing or getting, you know, putting out a lot of chi, like wasting their energy if they don't know, you know, maybe tantric practices to hold that energy in, intermingling their field with uh, many, many different people. And I can see just having some friends who are women, how that also affects women, like mm-hmm. how, having guys who never want to commit. Because as I understand, and I could be wrong here, but what ultimately a woman's deepest desire would be in a relationship is for a man who will commit to them and, and hold them over this desire of being with many others. It depends on what culture and but I'd love your thoughts on this. This idea of, of stepping into into marriage, not because it's something to like doing it from a place of love, of course, but but what do you think about it as sort of the natural progression of, of a, a man growing up from being a child and stepping into adulthood? Well, you know, a marriage is is the work of love. And if a person hasn't reached the maturity to do the work of love within themselves then they're going to carry their deficits into the relationship with the other person. So, uh, put it this way, if you don't have the time to love and care for yourself and you enter into a relationship which requires commitment and they need your time, and they're doing the same thing, the question I have for you is, can either of you ever be present with each other? No. And so what you end up with is a situation where people ultimately end up splitting up because they don't know who the person they're with is. They only saw what they wanted to see to meet a desire that they had, which was usually biologically driven, which is sex, right? So they married a nice ass or they married a good-looking guy, but they didn't really marry the person. So, you know, once we commit to loving and caring for ourselves then what happens is we have so much love in us that it it actually starts to burden us. We want to give it away. And so the the desire to give our love to somebody in relationship is when we both have the freedom of authentic autonomy and we're together not because we're in a needy situation like I need you for sex or I need you to do the dishes because I hate doing the dishes, or I need you to make money because I'm lazy and you make money, so I'll give you sex if you give me money so I can buy a purse or, or have a cool car. That's a guaranteed way to just have a real shitty experience in, in a relationship and certainly a marriage. And it's why the average person only stays married for 2.5 years and has three marriages in their lifetime. Um which doesn't do well for the till God do we part motto of Christianity. But if you come to a relationship because you really want to share life with somebody and share your love with somebody and you acknowledge the person that you're attracted to is attractive to you because they have similar values and qualities then what you do is you bring two individuals together that are whole individuals but have something to share with each other. And then when those two come together, they create the third, which is the marriage of the two of them. Like 
when I'm with Angie or Penny or the two of them together, something's created out of the three of us that's more powerful than either the two of us or one of us. And like we couldn't be here where we live without all three of us. There's no way. We couldn't do the work to maintain a property this big. We couldn't make the money to pay the bills. We couldn't effectively raise the children the way we're raising them. And so the the, the thing that I want to share aside from what I've shared is that, you know, when I met Penny, I quickly realized that she brought so much to my life that my life was so much more rich and whole with her. And when I was away from her, it wasn't that I was desperate for sex or that I had this neediness. It was just that I felt like a dancer who learned to dance better and had more fun dancing with his dance partner. It'd be like if you're if you're tango dancers but your partner's away on a six-month business trip, well, you know, and you can practice with lots of other people, but when you go to the competition, it's your partner that you have to have grown with. It's your partner that you got to be in time with. It's your partner that you have to go beyond the mechanistic memory of movements into the art of the expression of love through dance. So what I'm saying, Matt, is when you become the person that you want in your relationship when you give the kind of love that you want back because you're giving it as a gift not as an iou <laughs> right mm-hmm. then what happens is you feel that that person's presence in your life is a love multiplier most relationships break down because what they thought was love was sex and when the sex connection breaks down then that becomes a love divider right now there's less love because there's more fighting and more arguments and more disappointments and more sadness and more unfulfilled sex and more sleeping with your back turned to each other but when you're with someone that multiplies love with you then the sex becomes a celebration of the love and the creativity and what you're creating together right yeah and so when Angie came into my life and, and, and Penny's life, Penny's rule was you can have as many women as you want as long as they cook, clean, contribute to the bottom line, and don't talk too much. Now, that's a tall order, especially the don't talk too much. But when Penny spent time around Angie, she realized that Angie was a functional equal to her and that she had different skills, and that she added to our mission of the Institute, and she added to my creativity. She added to Penny's creativity. And so we had another love multiplier. When you're in a position in a relationship, when you don't need the other person, but you clearly recognize that their presence brings something into your life that's beyond what you can create by yourself. That's step one. When you can ask this question, can this person hold my hand and walk through hell with me and not run? 
If the answer is yes, that's the person that will do the work of love with you. When those two meet, getting married is as natural as breathing. When those two don't meet, getting married is like putting crazy glue between two people that think they like each other but find out 20 minutes later they don't. And getting that separation is painful. That's my answer to your question. That's amazing. I really appreciate it. What I'd like to close with is is a succinct expression of the three key points you would offer to any young person starting a wanting to start a business so they have more freedom in their life and they're not stuck with all the limitations of COVID or the transitions of the world and saying, I can't find a job or I don't want to work for somebody else. If there's three things, bullet points, one, two, three. The first bullet point I would say is do something, just something. Uh, I was landscaping, uh, doing manual labor before starting a business. I experienced that doing something rather than just sitting at home, living with parents or whatever. Uh, I was living with my parents because I was in high school, but not doing anything. Doing that something gets the energy flowing, uh, this sort of productive energy that I believe can then be transferred to whatever the thing is you want to build. So the first is do something, anything that is disciplining and overcoming yourself every day, even if it's a rigorous course of study, but it can't be university with partying like crazy. It has to be actual, you know, you're overcoming yourself every day. The second would be start something else on the side. Uh, If you have a ton of money in the bank, maybe you can start this thing from the get-go, but you're going to have to actually work on it. So the reason I shared the second and the first together is because if I had all the money in the world, I probably wouldn't have had the motivation to start my own business. I would have just been like accepting it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to think I would act differently, but probably I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. I'd probably just sit on it. So knowing that I was pushing a lawnmower every day and yet my head was chock full of all this valuable scientific information, I was like, I have way more value to add to the world than cutting grass. Yep. But it forced me doing that effort every day, forced me to think about it. Mm-hmm. So the second is think about something that you actually care about that you would want to be your business. Tim Ferriss calls it the muse in the four hour work week and start putting effort into that. And only when that thing starts to take wings of its own because you've given it the love it deserves and Mm -hmm. needs. And maybe it isn't the first thing. Maybe you have to do through, go through five things, but you have to be able to have something that's paying your bills and then do something else. The third I would say is the most valuable lesson I've learned so far in business um, to date, which I've shared in many cases, but just to summarize it again, it's that the hard work isn't anything outside of you because there really isn't necessarily anything outside of us. It's all part of our experience. And so the hard work is the stuff that is inside that we tend to want to avoid and we just have to overcome that And then the work becomes easier. And with that, you know, you don't want to notice the, there's a fine place between laziness and not wanting to overcome oneself constantly Mm -hmm. that I've experienced very much for, for me a long time, five, four or five years of the beginnings of, of getting my business up or, and before, and then there's the other extreme uh, opposite to laziness, which is overworking and and, tri- and especially the form of o- overworking so, so as to trick yourself that you're doing the right things, which I had the laziness combined with the overworking, 
but not doing the true work. So find that place in the middle where you're not working too much, but you're doing the the right things and following the 80-20 principle. There's a great audio program called the 80-20 principle, I believe, by Richard Koch, this British guy who who goes through it. It's like an audio program. I believe it's also a physical book he wrote, but uh, the audio program is amazing. You can focus on the things that matter and to the absolute best of your ability, and I'm still actively working on this, figure out how to either let the things go that don't that aren't part of the 80-20, or this is the best advice I could probably give. What I've learned, this is like goes to the Gandhi, uh, the Gandhi story we told earlier. I have to, in my experience, overcome the, the key areas of my business that I've been running from. I have to overcome them, and then I can hand them over to, a, for example, an employee. Mm-hmm. But the core functions... I have to be able to do them myself and want to do them because they're part of the mission. And after I've done them, somehow this is how it works. I can't really explain it, but then I can hand it off to someone and it works. But if I didn't, again, for core functions, okay, I don't do programming. I don't do graphic design. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about. The core functions, like for us in my business, it's managing the operations and making the machine more efficient every single day. Mm -hmm. Making the critical decisions that only you should make. Exactly. And, and, uh, you, exactly. And then second would be like building partnerships, building key relationships, spreading the message, writing copy to send out on marketing. I have, and I love doing that stuff, but I would often trick myself. Oh, I can't do that because I have all this other operational stuff and emails and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But f- just figuring out no matter what it takes, how to just do those things that matter. And then ultimately things for me have been falling into place. The more that I focus on the things that matter and let the rest not just let it sort itself out, like not attending to it. I attend all the details that need to be attended to, attended to, but th- the effort is in being able to keep my focus kind of like meditation on the the single point that matters, despite all of the emotions. Like, oh, you should do this. Just focus and do the things that matter the most um, as per the 80-20 principle. So those are my three tips. I think that's actually a really valuable start for anyone who wants to start their business. Well, if I heard you right, I can summarize it. One, do what you got to do to meet your survival needs. While you're doing that, use your creativity and listen to your heart about what you love to do that could become a business opportunity so you're making love for the rest of your life. And three, use that relationship with what you love to do to look at where you're bullshitting yourself, become an adult, and focus on it not as what you have to do but what is called the work of love so that you grow to a healthy balance of your business and your creative expression of yourself in the world but have enough time to really be with yourself so you don't lose yourself how am i for being that a was student? that was perfect i couldn't have said it better myself and the only other thing i would add or is that my business for me has been the greatest teacher in the world. I feel it's like a direct reflection of the universe to me where I'm advancing and overcoming and putting in the right effort and where I'm shying away and leaning back. But I think for everyone, it could be a relationship as well. And there's a great quote. You may know who it comes from. It's how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. That's, it's yeah. been around so long, I think not even Jesus remembers who <laughs> that quote. And, and I've really, I've only heard that recently, but it seemed like, wow, that is such a great summary of everything I've been learning. If I show up in my business, I'm also showing up in my relationship, it seems. If I'm showing up in my, you know, even the way I eat, if I can be conscious and slow with the way I eat, I notice I'm much more calm and conscious with my activities. Mm-hmm. That's all. And 
for people who want to find us, I guess I could just tell. Yeah, people. yeah. Where where can people find uh, Raw Optics and anything else you want to share? So for the company Raw Optics, we make the light therapy eyewear, daylight lenses for daytime and offices, screens in school. Anytime you're indoors, long time during the day, they'll chill you out, balance your mind, and relax your nervous system. Those are the daylight lenses and the sunset lenses you use after the sun goes down to protect your melatonin and sleep. I have to clarify because people will get a million questions. So that's the difference. And that's all on raoptics.com. So raoptics.com, like the sun got no W, that's just raoptics.com. And they can use your discount code check for 15% off. So that's Uh, a gift. Does it have to be uppercase? Nope, not case sensitive. C-H-E-K-15? That's right. Do they have to put the 15 in? Nope, no 15, just Just check. check. Yeah. Check it out, baby. Yeah, check. I got mine on. I wear them every single day. Me too. Yeah, and soon when the sun sets, I'll throw on the sunset red lenses. That's raoptics.com. And if people want to follow uh, us on Instagram, they can follow at raw underscore optics. And we'll have, we have actually a lot of great inspiring content there because we feel it's best to just inspire people of what, you know, your beautiful life can look like. And then the light diet, just one word is my Instagram profile. If you want updates on what I'm working on, new products coming out in the next down the road, probably within the next year, some really amazing products to complement the eyewear uh, that I'm really, really stoked about. I'm working with one of the leading light experts in the in the whole world on this. So it'll be really cool what we create. It'll be very useful for everyone and very portable to start. And then that's it. The light diet updates will come out like this, this pro- protocol I've talked about. I'll have some updates, maybe like a simple PDF guide and white paper in the next couple of months for people who want to learn more about that. So thank there you, you all. You've just heard from a 22-year-old that built a multi-million dollar business by himself, and he shared exactly how he do it, did it, and he's also shared what didn't work, so you don't have to make that mistake. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, Paul. I'm very uh, grateful for the opportunity to come and speak with you, and I learn so much every time I sit down with you as well. Well, I get to learn a lot from you too, and I get to look at myself at different stages of my life and go, oh, there I am. (laughs) Oh, there I am. There's me and the girls. There's me and the money. There's me and the bills. There's me and the responsibilities. So yeah, you're a beautiful mirror and uh, appreciate that. So thank you again to my sponsors for your amazing products. If you have not tried Bioptimizer, Symbiotica, Organifi, or Paleo Valley, then you have not tried the best and I use their products every day, not because I'm a supplement junkie, but because Paleo Valley makes the greatest snacks and they're real food. Symbiotic makes a great wide variety of naturally sourced products. Bioptimizers makes fantastic enzymes and gut help and detox and all sorts of neat stuff. And Organifi makes the most amazing, easy to make, great food for your kids, for yourself, and you cannot go wrong no matter which way you go. And thank you for anything you purchase from the sponsors that supports the podcast. And thank you to all of you guys. I really hope you enjoyed Matt's uh, conversation with me today. I love talking to Matt because it's very rare that you get to be with a 22-year-old that's lived this much life, figured this much out, and really is a shining example for young people as to what can really be done. And uh, he eats, sleeps, and breathes his truth. And I always love it when he's here. And he also makes a mean 
chicken on the grill. So uh, I love having him around because he always gets over to that grill and cooks up some good stuff for us. And he's not afraid to lift rocks and get his hands dirty and express his femininity in masculine ways with me out there in the rainbow on the property. So lots of love to all of you guys. Can't wait for the next uh, podcast with you. I'm sure I'll have something phenomenal for you and go check out raw optics. And I really do wear raw optics glasses literally every day because they're the best and you can actually see through them and they're durable. I've never broken a pair yet. Great. So I'll hold great spirit. Lots of love to you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Matt Maruka. Follow Matt and Ra Optics on Instagram at The Light Diet and at Ra underscore optics. That's R-A underscore O-P-T-I-C-S. Matt is offering Paul's listeners 15% discount on any Ra Optics products. Visit the website raoptics.com and use the discount code CHECK. That's C-H-E-K, all in uppercase. Follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Check videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chekiva.com. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.